What up you sick fucks, it's your one and only Super Beast, aka Rob Zombie here, and that's my co-host, Living Dead Girl, aka Sherry Moon Pie, aka Dirt Cream Pie, that's what I like to call her anyway. She's my wife, and always my first casting choice. People don't like it, but I'm never gonna stop. We just wanna say, it's finally Halloween, and I love this holiday, even though I always feel so numb. Ever since Thunderkiss 65, when I first rolled in the dirt with my friend Dragula, Drunk on pussy liquor. We were chewing sick bubble gum laced with acid, dreaming about being an American band. That was back when everyone was fucking in the USA. But anyway, yeah, like I said, it's Halloween. Me and Sherry Moon Pie, aka Dirt Cream Pie, we got our 70s cheap plastic Halloween masks on. We want to welcome you to the show, and today we're covering my film, Halloween. Not that David Gordon Green, Evil Dies Tonight, Rambo Strode. Haddonfield United Pussy Shit. So welcome to the Grindhouse Syndicate, and happy Halloween, fuckers, and enjoy the show. Uh, Rob Zombie went to go find a bum's jacket and a dirty top hat. He might be back later. Uh, you know, I don't know. <laughs> it's probably not. It's probably going to get lost in the, uh, the dirt hole back there. You know, he can't resist rolling in a good hole of dirt. Yeah, it was nice for him to stop by and do our intro, though. Thank you very much, Rob Zombie and Cherry Moon Zombie Pie, who was also here, a.k.a. Dirt Cream Pie. But today we are talking about his 2007 remake of Halloween. We are here on location in Haddonfield, where the gruesome murders took place. We can actually say that because back in 2017, where we live... Uh, it was actually used as Haddonfield for 2018 reboot. So, yeah, you know, yep. we can say we are technically in Haddonfield. I mean, it would have been in the other two had South Carolina. Gave them tax breaks. Yeah, North Carolina's tax breaks, apparently a, a whole lot better. Yeah, and this, righteous gemstones that apparently used up all the all the tax break money. Yeah, they must not have a lot of tax breaks for one one show. Well, they have that other show too, that uh, Netflix teen drama. I do. I think the the way that I'm pretty sure they explained it when it was happening. Danny McBride, they were trying to get it done in South Carolina, and they were lobbying to get it changed to to be and for them to raise it so they could do it and uh, here and that made no sense. <laughs> <laughs> they were they were trying to get it done here and they were trying to get South Carolina to raise the the film industry tax break money that they'll do. And I, I guess it's like one big chunk of money that they'll give out once that's up for the year, once they give it out to the movies for the year, that's it. Yeah. So, fuck everybody else. First yeah. come, first serve. Yeah, North Carolina's was way higher. Uh, yeah, so before we jump into the Halloween, though, I just wanted to say we finally finished up one of my favorite things that we got this October, which was Mike Flanagan's The Fall of the House of Usher. That was a fucking bomb-ass show. Yes, it was. That was one of the best shows I think I've seen in a while. Everything Mike Flanagan does is fucking is really good, um, except Bly Manor, which was good, but just boring. But... um. Man, I don't know. I think this this may have been the best out of the five we did for Netflix. I, I don't. I don't know if it's the best. It's tied for the best, probably. Midnight Mass, I think, would go number one. But um, and it's got to be. It's got to be at least number two. 
Yeah, I, I would. I feel like it's kind of tied. Like it was written extremely well. I mean, the characters are amazing. It doesn't have like a massive amount of horror in it, but it it is a horror show, and the people that die in it die in phenomenal ways. Really, really awesome death scenes. Great effects, great acting, amazing writing, all around a phenomenal show. Yeah, hands down. I bow to Mike Flanagan. He's just fantastic. Him and his team of writers seem to nail it every time. And this this was uh, a hard one to top. Yeah, if you don't really know a lot about it, it's an eight-episode miniseries. It was released on Netflix. It is based on works by Edgar Allan Poe. A lot of people say it's based off of the uh, Fall of the House of Usher by Edgar Allan Poe, which it is, but if you watch it, it's, I mean, everything about it is from so much stuff that Poe wrote. So if you're a big, like, Edgar Allan Poe fan, definitely watch it because you'll see, like, uh, uh, just a ton of stuff that is going to remind you of pretty much just about everything he ever wrote. I mean, they sprinkle it through everything. Yeah, not only is the whole story based off of one story, but each episode is based off of another poem. So each episode has the name of a poem. And then within that, you'll also hear a lot of lines from other uh, Edgar Allan Poe poems that uh, were not that did not have their own episode. But yeah, it's the the way they wrote that. It, it makes my head hurt even thinking about sitting down and cramming nine poems into a show and making it make sense. But it was done beautifully. Yeah, I I came across an article that was like every Edgar Allan Poe reference in the show. And I'm 30 minutes into it and I finally got bored because I was like, man, this is like a never ending, never ending thing. I mean, everything from like the name of the company, the name of characters, the, the just the name of, of just anything comes from different poems, books he wrote. Uh, I found out today he wrote a he wrote one novel and there's you know stuff from that. The the whole entire story with the lawyer when he was younger, that is a whole entire story that he wrote. That's like a whole thing. So, yeah, definitely watch it. It has an 89% Rotten Tomatoes and a Metacritic of 74 out of 100. I think it's better than that, but, you know. What did it get? 89% on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, that's that's undoubtedly in the 90s. No question about that. Honestly, if I had to give it 1 through 100 off the top of my head, I would probably give it a 98. It was, it was, uh, 2% could have been for more horror, but as far as the way it was written and the actors, um, I, I think that show was, was a fantastic show. And if you are a fan of Poe's work, then it is a must watch for you. The, yeah, the two people that I really wanted to shout out on the show, cause I mean, all the actors, everybody in it is phenomenal, but I'd say. Bruce Greenwood, who played uh, the kind of the main, like the head of the family, the main guy, Roderick Usher, he did phenomenal. Like he carried that show. And it's interesting because he actually wasn't the original uh, Roderick that was cast. They cast another guy. And then there was some controversy with that guy. So they kind of grabbed Bruce Greenwood at the last minute. And man, lucky us because this dude killed it yeah he he's all around a a fantastic actor another one that i think gets kind of overlooked 
was Mark Hamill. I knew Mark Hamill was in this before it came out. And then I seen him in the very first episode. I said, yep, that's Mark Hamill. But then he does such a good job at being this character and being different that you forget that that's Mark Hamill within the first episode. And I remember thinking about the last episode, kind of trying to think about, um, cause a lot of the actors in this are actors from the other, the previous mini series that, uh, Mike Flanagan has done. And I was kind of going through my head and picking like which ones that he used from which shows and which ones he pulled from like last year's show. And then I was like, well, who plays the lawyer again? It's fucking Mark Hamill. Like I, you know, of course I know that, but he does like, he changes his voice and everything for this movie phenomenal job yeah come to think about it i i think it was his very last scene in the last episode oh when he's sitting down in the house is whenever i uh thought back and and realized oh shit this is mark hamill yeah does an excellent job but if you're on the fence about watching that definitely check it out it's not like it's something i'd say you need to watch you know because this this episode comes out day before halloween I wouldn't say it's something you need to watch on Halloween, you know, pick a pick a really good horror movie, but still jump into it right after Halloween's over. It is a show that you can pretty much watch any point in time and it's going to be great. Yeah, you also don't have to be a huge lover of horror to no. really love the show. So, it's good good shit. Yeah, and and it also leaves it's one of those one thing it does really well is you're you spend the whole entire eight episodes trying to figure out what's going on like it does kind of give you a little more stuff each episode but you will spend you will rack your brain trying to figure out what the fuck is going on here and i think that's mike flanagan that's something that all of his series have have been like that you know every one of them you're kind of you spend the whole time trying to figure out what the fuck is going on i think that that is what part of what one of the things that makes him uh, an, an extremely good, see the showrunner for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh-huh. everything he does is really good, and it, it's one of those that you're not going to figure it out. Like you're not going to watch one or two episodes and figure it out. It's never predictable. With no, him. you're not going to guess it. I don't think you're going to guess it. I would definitely have not guessed it. But anyway, uh, two other things I want to hit on real quick. Well, two, one thing, two movies. Uh, so just in case you need something to watch for Halloween, uh, the nun two has hit HBO max. It came out on HBO max, October 27th and saw X is now, uh, available to rent on Amazon prime for 20 bucks. So if you want to catch these two movies that were just in the theater or still in the theater, you don't want to go out to the theater, especially on Halloween. You can catch these two brand new movies at home. But anyway, uh, if you want to know what is going on with the show, talk about or request movies for us to cover, you can always find out what is happening by checking out some of our social media accounts. You can find us on Facebook at the Grindhouse Syndicate Horror Podcast, Instagram at grindhousesyndicate.horror.pod, and sometimes we do some TikTok videos like the time we let Chucky host the show, or if you want to see our spooktacular Halloween decorations, then head on over to TikTok and look up the Grindhouse Syndicate. Oh, well, no, it's just the Grindhouse Horror Podcast at grindhouse.horror.pod. And as always, you can find that stuff in the show notes. So, 
Halloween is a 2007 American slasher film written, directed, and produced by Rob Zombie. It is a remake of John Carpenter's 1978 film of the same name and the ninth installment in the Halloween franchise. A lot of those movies. Yeah. Not yeah, a good bit. Yep. The, the film stars Malcolm McDowell, Sherry Moon Zombie, Tyler Maine, Scout Taylor Compton, Brad Dorff, and Daniel Harris, amongst many others. It follows Michael Myers, who murdered his family as a child and becomes institutionalized at an asylum before breaking out and stalking Laurie Strode and her friends on Halloween night. It was written and directed by Zombie. Cinematography was by Phil Parmet, produced by Dimension Films, and distributed by the Weinstein slash MGM company. Uh, actual interesting thing, Weinstein and MGM only distributed here in the U.S. Paramount distributed around the rest of the world. Hmm. Yeah. That's strange. Yeah. This because something I think Paramount had actually purchased a large stake in Dimension Films, uh, you know, a couple years prior. And this big chunk that they had bought basically gave them the rights to distribute stuff everywhere. But, you know, like North America, I think. Sure, they made some good money. Oh, yeah. It's just weird, though, that a that a Michael Myers movie was distributed by Paramount because that's normally, you know, Friday the 13th. Yeah. So you mentioned this is this is number nine in the series. I didn't realize it until you said that. But with the three new ones, there's now 13 and Halloween has overtaken Friday the 13th mm-hmm. yep. and movies and the amount of movies. Never realized that. Yeah, it's a bummer. But, you know, I don't know. Maybe David Gordon Green will do a Friday the 13th trilogy because everything he does is trilogies now. I hope he does I, it. I hope it's not him. I hope he doesn't, but, you know, he might. I, I hope if I hope Plumhouse does, and I hope that they choose uh, somebody else. It was released August 31st, 2007 to 3,472 theaters in North America, giving it the widest release of any previous of the films. It made a little over $10 million on its opening day with a total of $26 million for the whole weekend. Good how, job. How much did it make total? Uh, we're about to say the total. Okay. That was just for that opening weekend. It was opening day, opening weekend. And then we got, it had a budget of $15 million and a total box office of $80.4 million. The film received generally negative reviews, but it made so much money, it got a sequel. Halloween 2 was released in 2009. So it made 80, $80.4 million total. That's pretty good. Well, I thought that too. Do you know how much money the 2018 Halloween made? Oh, God. Well, I know that it, that was massive when it came out. I would probably guess uh, $200 million. Close. Pretty close. Yeah. It made $155 million. So, yeah. you know, that tells me that our Haddonfield here is better than Haddonfield of California. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. It, 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 was, it, was, it was the set. It was. Yeah, the it was set Charleston. design here uh-huh. in our city. That's what. That's what gave it that one fifty five. That had to be. I it. truly believe that. Because <laughs> movie to movie, I, I don't. I don't. I wouldn't no. say that one's definitely not uh, two times better than this movie. I would agree. Uh, so we'll talk about the production. 
So after the release of Halloween H2O and Halloween Resurrection, there was various ideas on how to proceed with the ninth installment. After the release of Freddy vs. Jason in 2003, Dimension Films attempted to produce a crossover with the Hellraiser franchise. One of the ideas was to have a young Michael Myers open the laminate configuration, becoming possessed by Sam Hain who was fleeing from hell. And this would explain Michael's need to murder and his invincibility. The rest of the film would show the Cenobites attempting to capture him. Uh, whoa. Gotta, whoa. Gotta say. Movie. Yeah, that, uh, I'm glad that didn't happen. I'd fucking watch that. <laughs> I know you would, but I just... I would totally watch that. <laughs> with crossovers like that, I feel like there's so much room to, to mess things up. Like if Freddy versus Jason... Of course, we wanted that after uh, the end. Uh, the only good part of Jason Goes to Hell uh, is the glove, and we, we really wanted that to happen. But had that never happened, and you came to me now and told me that they were going to do a crossover between Freddy and Jason, I would be like, oh, no. Because there's so much room to mess that up. And just like, you know, Freddy versus Jason almost did get messed up. It was, it was shit tons of really, up times. really, <laughs> really bad scripts for it. But with that said, that would be a really interesting movie. I'll say that. Well, this crossover idea was ultimately canceled after 52% of responders to an online poll disapproved of the project. You know, it's really surprising to me that you would base a big project like that on an internet poll. Uh, I mean, I didn't know about the poll. I didn't vote. I didn't hear anything about this poll. Yeah, then. we were a lot younger back then, too. Yeah, uh, but, I mean, that's it's not like know, that's like a whole you know, consensus of all horror fans, you know? Like, that's that's just, you know, a poll on some kind of website. That's, you know, there's, there's a very small percentage of people that probably voted on that that would have watched this movie. It's just, just yeah, weird to me. Yeah, but the, even a small percentage still tends to, as numbers grow, represent a whole population. As long as it wasn't like 10 people. Once you get a certain amount of people, it's kind of uh, representative of the whole population. With that said, you know, I don't, I don't, I kind of disagree. I don't think it's a bad idea for them to start polling stuff before they, you know, there's a lot of bad decisions that have been made in movies that if, like, imagine had they polled the script for Jason Goes to Hell and said, hey guys, what if we make a whole Friday the 13th with Jason not in it? Uh, I'm pretty sure that would have got that would have got voted no. There's always going to be one or two percent that's that's going to vote no matter how obvious something is. But yeah, that's that's interesting. What did they do the poll through? I don't know. Did they use like I, I wonder know. if they used like a social media back then would have been MySpace. MySpace didn't even work like that though. Like you, I have no idea. I feel like it was on like you know Dimensions website or something. You know something like that. I I don't have no idea. But uh, anyway, on June fourth, two thousand six, Dimension Films announced that Rob Zombie would be creating the next installment in the franchise. Bob Weinstein approached him about making the film. Zombie, who was a fan of the original, jumped at the chance to make the movie. Zombie did feel obligated to inform John Carpenter about the film out of respect. Carpenter's only request was for Zombie to make the film his own, which I 
I think he did. I think he absolutely did. But, you know, uh, we'll talk about John Carpenter's opinion here in a here in a second. Well, I hope he didn't hate on it after he told him to make it his own film. But well, it's John uh, Carpenter, I, so... I feel like a lot of people hate it because he did make it his own film. But, you know, I'm, I will get into that more, I'm sure. So on June 16th, 2006, Zombie announced that his film would combine the elements of a prequel and a remake with considerable original content and would disregard the many sequels that followed the original Halloween. Production officially began on January 29th of 2007. The mask was designed to be an exact shape and replication of the original, and filming was done in the same neighborhood as the 1978 film. John Carpenter said in a Q&A in 2016 that he took issue with Zombie's comments about him being cold when discussing the project and noted that this will color his perception of the film. He also didn't like that Zombie gave Myers a backstory, saying it takes away from the mystique and explains too much about Myers. He also said, quote, I don't care about that. He's supposed to be a force of nature. Fucking John Carpenter. <laughs> yeah. In a lot of cases, I would say, like, don't give him a backstory. We don't, you know, it does take away from some, some of the mystique. But, uh, I gotta say that I thought this was done really, really good. Um, it's it's one of the parts of the film that I enjoy the most. I don't know how you're gonna tell somebody to make it their own and then and then make those comments. I think the backstory is the best part of this movie because outside of Danielle Harris, yeah. Because the reason I say that is because the backstory doesn't affect anything about Myers and anything he's done in any of the other movies or anything he does really in this movie, except for the fact that Myers can take gunshots and still keep moving. But that's always been a thing with him. This just shows that he was kind of a, this crazed psychopath, even to when he was a child. And then it shows that, you know, to pile on and make that worse was all this other stuff going on in his life. So yeah, that that's one thing I was going to get at later on, but since we're talking about it, the, for one, it shows how demented he was as a child, but he has this really terrible background. He has this terrible stepdad. That's an asshole. Um, it's kind of a really white trashy family and he just was not dealt a great hand. So that, combined with his already really fucked up mental state was just the perfect storm to create uh, pure evil. On December 18th, 2007, the film was released on DVD, both the theatrical 110 minute and the unrated director's cut 121 minutes was released uh, as a two disc special. There was also a three disc special, which includes a four hour documentary on the making of the film. This movie's fucking long. That is a, did you say a four-hour documentary? Four-hour documentary. I mean, it's three discs. Wow. Couldn't even fit the damn thing on the other disc. It really, really wanted to get uh, a, a long documentary in there. Yeah. It's rare that you get the documentary about the movie is way, way longer than the movie. Two of the movies. Did they just like, is it the whole movie being filmed? I don't know. I've never had four hours to watch the documentary. They make this. you watch like 18 takes of one scene. I don't know. 
so the ratings uh <laughs> rotten tomatoes it's terribly low i mean the last rom zombie movie we did was terribly low probably the lowest uh 28 percent yeah that's fucking laughable imdb yeah. it's a six out of ten letterbox gave it a 2.7 out of five stars and the Google like uh, average audience rating is actually a four star. So this is people actually just hopping on there and voting for it. Four out of five stars is Which, what the audience gave it. Yeah, and it that's what it that's what these ratings should reflect is how much people are going to like the movie. And when they don't, that that shows you how flawed some of the, some of the ratings are. Twenty eight percent. That's a two point eight out of out of ten is is uh, like I said, it's laughable. Yeah, it sucks. If you would like to watch this movie after this episode, Peacock has it. Uh, Hulu Premium subscription has it, or you can rent it for two dollars on Amazon, Apple, or Vudu. It it actually for a while was on uh, Tubi for free, and I almost watched it so many times. But I think it just left like the first week of October or something. Like it was, it had just took off and went to Peacock, I guess. And Tubi's gonna have to start paying some money. Be giving Tubi some shout outs. Oh man, <laughs> they are I'm they are good Tubi. though. They Tubi's are. Tubi's amazing. It if you are somebody like me who grew up in the '90s, kind of catching all of these uh, late night, like you know USA Network and uh, the Joe Bob, you know thing. TNT and, and yeah yeah and you caught a lot of um you know major horror movies and not so major horror movies you know Tubi's where you can go to find a lot of those kind of not as known or not as big budget horror movies that you may have watched a couple times when you were younger and you just want to revisit it again or if you were also like me who went into the the movie rental place all the time and just went and just grabbed uh something with a cool cover that in the horror section i did that so many so many times and tubi is the best place to find a lot of they have a lot of big movies too I and mean, they had this movie but yeah that's that's what's best about tubi is you can totally find some just off the wall random shit shit that you think would be on shutter because shutter is all about horror movies but you know, in the past year and a half, man, Shutter has not really updated their their library in a while. I I have to agree with that. I think Tubi's uh, horror library should definitely that those two should be switched around for Shutter being a channel that is dedicated to horror. They don't have a whole lot of really. They have a lot of horror, but they should have, I think, more bigger horror movies uh, than they do. Especially considering Tubi can pull that off and Tubi's free. Yeah, I think half of what is on Shudder is uh, is also on Tubi. That's one thing I've noticed because I still have Shudder. You know, I only pay like $8 or something. And there's still some stuff I go there to watch. But half of it you can find, like the older movies you can find on Tubi. But, so yeah, Tubi won't... Won't you throw me some money? Because I'm I'm doing I'm doing a commercial for you damn near every episode. Yeah, we we need we need that uh need that advertisement money. Keep 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 pulling in awesome horror movies, Tubi. Shout out to you. So we start off with uh, we'll jump. In, you ready? To jump to the plot. I jump. I went too far ahead there. 
Yeah, let's let's do it. Thought we were kind of getting into that already. A little bit. Uh, So we start off with a simple black and white title card, and then we get a shot of this unkept, like, two-story home with some kind of basic Halloween decorations. And it tells us that this story takes place in Haddonfield, Illinois, on October 31st. We meet a young 10-year-old boy named Michael Myers who is playing with his pet rat. Then we jump down uh, downstairs and we meet the rest of the Myers family. We have Deborah Myers who is raising three children after her husband has passed away. She is an exotic dancer and the household's only income. She is dating a man named Ronnie who is very abusive to Deborah and her children and especially her son, Michael. This dude's a fucking creep, dude. Like, makes a comment about his, his stepdaughter's ass. Yeah, he He's a is. Creep. Uh, it's like everybody in this household hates him, and he hates everybody in this household. You know, I don't. That kind of makes me look down on, on Deborah Myers because, you know, why would you stay with somebody like this that talks to your kids like that? Uh, very, very inappropriate comments. Every scene he's in, he's saying something that should not be said. Yeah, he's a piece of shit, for sure. Then we meet Judith Myers, Michael's older teenage sister, who is, you know, pretty promiscuous and also very mean to her younger brother. Michael also has a baby sister named Angel, who he has nicknamed Boo. We see during the morning breakfast scene that this family is very dysfunctional and abusive to each other, with Deborah always being gone to work and trying to support the family. I, you know, I feel like Deborah Myers is kind of the referee between everybody, and she's kind of the glue that holds these people together. But she's not there so much. So it's just these people are constantly at each other, and then she kind of gets dragged into it, and then obviously she can get nasty as well. So. Yeah, shout out to Sherry Moon Zombie, though. This is some of uh, the best acting that she does. Yeah, it's nice to see her as, like, a real character. Yeah. Because I I feel, you know, she's great as Baby Firefly, but Baby Firefly's not, like, a real person. Could be, but, you know, it'd be a very rare person. But this, you know, there's probably millions of this person in this world. Millions Millions of Deborah Myers is running around. Yeah, she played this part extremely well. Yeah, so the reason uh, Rob Zombie actually had her play that part is because he wanted uh, Michael Myers' mom to be tall to explain why he's so tall. So that's actually the reason he gave her that part. Besides is that, the fact his that excuse. Besides <laughs> the fact that they're together, no, there's <laughs> another part that he wanted to give her. Well, that I will tell, tell me you, Stroh, I will tell you later on, and you're gonna shit a brain. I was gonna make a joke that he. I'm surprised he didn't make her Laurie Strode. And man, well, this this movie, I would, I would, I just couldn't take that seriously. Well, in about an hour and forty minutes, you're gonna find out. So while the rest of the family is downstairs eating breakfast and screaming at each other. Michael is upstairs cleaning blood off his knife after murdering and dismembering his pet rat. What a piece of shit. And I want to take this time to say that at this point, we've done two Rob Zombie movies back to back, which we didn't mean to do. That was a total accident. But here we are. Rob Zombie has an obsession with those old plastic Halloween kids masks. You remember in House of a Thousand Corpses when they bust into the captain spaulding's mm. that guy has that little plastic shitty monkey 
Yeah, he does. Which yeah. is, you know, Rob Rob mentioned that in this intro here on the show. Yeah, he likes those. And then at dinner in House of a Thousand Corpses, they all have to wear those weird ass like homemade masks that they have to put on. And this really weird coincidence thing happened uh, about four days ago is on like my YouTube or something. I was I was just like looking for something to kill like 10 minutes or five minutes. And I come across this video that says Rob Zombie with the MTV like interviewer or something uh, looking for Halloween stuff. And it was from like 1995. So I click it and I watch it and it's him and this girl who works for like MTV and they're going to these like little small hole in the wall Halloween stores for him to buy like decorations or some shit for his house. And he gets so excited and buys so many of these little shitty 1970s plastic Halloween masks, the same ones we see in all these fucking movies. And he's talking about, and and the lady asked him, why do you want to buy these masks when you can buy like these nice, expensive, big full head latex masks? And he basically is like, you know, this was when times were simpler. This is a much like kind of simpler thing. And you know, why waste the money on some big, latex piece of shit and i'm like you're calling that a piece of shit when that that thing that little plastic thing right there is gonna break (laughs) sounds like such a rob zombie thing it is he's always gotta i hate to say he's one of those people who's always got to be different he is a goth hipster he is he is totally a hipster uh, no doubt but then you know so i've seen house of thousand corpses and we talked about that then I see this thing on YouTube the other day, and then we watch this movie, and they, he's another one. And I was like, uh, so obviously this is his thing. How many IPAs do you think he consumes? All of them. He does. He's, he's, he's tried every single one of them. Yep. Next, we jump over to Michael arriving at school. He heads into the bathroom where he is discovered by two boys who often bully him it becomes very obvious they fucking hate him one of the boys mentions to michael that he knows that his mom is an exotic dancer and that he should get her to perform some sexual acts on him i mean it's like bro you're in like fucking middle school you got a little middle school size dick like she is not gonna fuck with you the fact that you even made that joke like to an adult's laughable maybe i get when another kid that's some serious shit but as an adult i'm like bro you yeah, not happening. Not ha- that's not even a realistic joke. Yeah, that's it's rough too because he like pulls out a cutout of a magazine for the strip club with his mom on it. Yeah, like damn, man, that hurts. Yeah, so he pulls out this newspaper ad for the strip club that features Deborah Myers's photo, and you know this is it. Michael's done hit his point. Michael attacks the kid, and they all three kind of end up in this fight. This two kids basically end up just beating Michael's ass, but props to him for going to town, even though he knew he was outnumbered. But the principal walks in and stops the fight and begins to yell at all three of the boys. Michael then looks him in the eyes with this like look of rage and says, fuck you. The guy's like, what did you say? And Michael repeats it. Fuck you. Good job, man. Good job, 10-year-old Michael Myers. Yeah, the kid that plays him does a really good job. He says, fuck you with some authority. For a 10-year-old kid, Like he knows how to angrily put out fuck you. Yeah, he's amazing in this movie. 
he I did find out the reason that he's actually not in the second one is not because of his performance or anything. It's because he had grown like he had such a huge growth spurt in the past, like, you know, two years that he actually it would be weird. Yeah, and if you see him now, uh, I'd seen him as an adult and he's thinned out a lot, too. So, yeah, I don't know. Maybe that was going on, too. Yeah, he's got a little bit of baby fat here. Yeah, I'd, I'd read a long time ago that he had grown too much for the part. And that's unfortunate because I don't think the kid that plays him in the second one is it, obviously not in it nearly as much. But um, I don't even remember him. He He's like, he doesn't look much like him. He's like another kid with blonde hair. But So Deborah Myers is called into the school for Michael's behavior. And during this meeting... The principal introduces Deborah to a child psychologist named Dr. Loomis. Deborah doesn't believe that Michael needs any help and attempts to leave, but the principal then pulls a dead cat from Michael's bag. She acts like this is not a big deal. She yeah. says this is like not a big deal. Yeah, I would be deeply fucking concerned at this point. Yeah. Like if they told me that my kid was carrying around a dead fucking cat, in a bag in in his book bag at school like i would be like you're right we do need to talk like he obviously needs some fucking help yeah that is uh gro- i mean she claims it's roadkill doesn't matter even if it's roadkill you don't carry like a dead body around in your backpack at school period yeah roadkill or not that's they those are equally as bad it's it's more of the fact that it is a dead body that he's not only keeping, but he's taking it to school with him. That's fucking weird. Like if this was my kid, I would I would feel sick. If if a teacher pulled this out of a bag and I realized that my kid was carrying this around, I would literally probably throw up. So they then show her a stack of photos that Michael had of dead, mutilated animals. I mean, this gets worse. She then realizes that this is a much bigger issue than she thought. Uh, Michael, he hears this meeting from the hallway, and he decides to get the fuck out of there as fast as possible. He's gone. It's like they, my, my cover's blown. They know about the dead cats. Yep. Yeah, because, you know, he plays it off like his mom thinks he loves animals. And what he really loves doing is killing them and dismembering them. Weird. Uh, Next, we see the bully kid walking home after school and Michael's stalking him. He's got his stalking skills already sharpened. Like, I don't know if this is the first person or first thing he's stalked, but he's pretty good at it. All those animals. He's stalking stalking all those fucking cats. cats. (laughs) It's hard to sneak up on a cat. That it is. The kids take a, uh, this kid takes a shortcut through the woods. You should know better than to take a shortcut. You always get fucked up in a shortcut, but whatever. He's a kid, man. He thought he was safe. Yeah. As he is walking through the woods, Michael steps out from behind a tree and delivers a crushing blow to the kid's legs with a big ass tree branch. Takes him fucking down. We then see that Michael is wearing his clown mask and delivering blow after blow to this kid's body. The kid begs for him to stop, but Michael is full of rage and just repeatedly beating him. He takes a moment to remove his mask. He then reaches down to remove the strip club ad from the kid's pocket, pulls down his mask, and then he delivers the final four blows. This fucking kill is absolutely brutal. 
I love that they wrote his first kill into the movie. Yeah. And uh, it, it's so brutal. It, it really sets the tone for the movie going forward. Thought this was great. We jump to later on at the Myers' house. Michael is dressed up in his clown costume. He's waiting to go trick-or-treating. Deborah is leaving for work, and she informs Judith and her boyfriend to take Michael to go get candy. She agrees, but then ultimately backs out right after Deborah leaves. Michael says, fuck it, I'll just go by myself. And I, I would do the same. I wouldn't even want to go with her. She fucking sucks. Yeah. Yeah, I was thinking about it during that scene, and I was like, man, this this sucks. Like, I was thinking back. There was never a year that I ever trick-or-treated on my own. Like, yeah, that would suck. Yeah, like, it would if suck. If I wasn't with family, I was at least with friends. That would be a, as a kid, a devastating. very, very, yeah, depressing, devastating um, and I, they, I love the shot too of him sitting there eating the candy and how they keep doing the back and forth shot of his mom at work and then him sitting there like depressed. They're playing, I think the song's Love Hurts. Uh, I thought cin- cinematography wise, I thought that was put together really well. While Michael is gone, we see that Judith and her boyfriend are doing sexy time stuff and her boyfriend stops the put a mask on that he wants to wear while they fuck. Yeah. Um, why would you want to do that? And I guess that mask, some people are into some stuff, but yeah, that's a weird mask to pull out. Well, that that mask is, it's like big on him and it's like, and, and it's like, you know, you know that while you're like, you know, getting the rhythm going, it's just going to be like bobbling around on your fucking face. It's not even like a tight fit. It's not secure. It's got to be hot. Well, it's this, like latex. Like, I don't know. I thought all kinds of things wrong with this. <laughs> this is, uh, God, what the fuck is his name? The Star Trek guy that the mask is based off of. It's Captain William Kirk. Shatner. Yeah. It's, it's a Kirk. fucking William Shatner mask. Like, what What woman wants you putting William Shatner's face on and fucking her? Oh, like, it's William not, Shatner mask. Yeah, it's, it's not even like a, I mean, outside of Halloween wouldn't be really that scary of a mask like William Shatner. Like if we're going to pull out like a ghost face mask or something, that's one thing. But William Shatner? But yeah, this is where we get introduced to, you know, the infamous solid white Captain Kurt William Shatner mask, which is, you know, obviously very famous for Michael Myers. But this is the origin of the mask. We then see Michael return home with a bag full of candy. Ronnie is asleep in front of the TV with Judith and her boyfriend upstairs. Michael sits at the kitchen table and eats candy corn, looking pretty bored. All right, I got some thoughts for you real quick. This is this is going to shed light on the whole franchise. Here we go. So you know what's wrong with Michael is, you know, it's not the murder. It's not the mutilation of animals. It's not like his, you know, fucked up home life. It's not him being bullied at school. It's that he likes candy corn. Hmm. Yeah, that's, that's this, probably this is, a good point. This is the origin of this psycho murderer who is like invincible. It's the candy corn. Maybe it was a way of self-harm. He's, he's depressed. Maybe instead of cutting himself, he forces himself to eat candy corn. Yeah. Kind of like the uh, in the lodge where the girl like burns her knees to repent. 
Yeah. You eat candy corn to repent. Listen, if if you if your family or friends, anybody that you know closely eats candy corn, report them to the police. Contact law enforcement and tell them about this candy corn abuse. It could save theirs or ultimately other people's lives. Candy corn's dangerous. It is dangerous. It is uh most dangerous to other people. Not dangerous to you. It's dangerous to the friends and the family of whoever's eating it because they're probably a psychopath. Candy corn is, you know, people try to say, oh, well, it's candy and I like it. But I know that that's not true. I know that's not true. Candy corn comes from China. It's made in the same lab fentanyl's made in, but worse. It's dirtier. I've seen it. It's gross. Don't eat candy corn. Report anybody that does eat candy corn. This is a true story. This this story here is a true story, and candy corn is the fault of it. Big candy corn, like Big Pharma, is hiding the truth. They made this movie to cover up what really happened. Yeah. Tried to make it like it was his fucked up home life and it's like the nine eleven candy mental issues. Uh, candy corn creates pure evil. Candy corn kills three hundred and sixty seven million Americans a year. Yeah, heart disease. More, the whole the whole country every year. We'd have so many more people if it wasn't for candy corn. But so Michael grabs some duct tape and he begins to tape Ronnie to his chair. We assume Ronnie must be so drunk he doesn't feel it because I was like, if somebody taped me to a fucking chair, I'd wake up pretty quick. Yeah, that's, he, a, he, that's that's a lot of tape too. Like that took him some time. Tapes the fuck out of him. Yeah. Like this might be a roll and a half of duct tape that he manages to wrap around like every part of of Ronnie, like his arms. It's around his chest. It's it's his it's in his hair. His forehead's like pinned back. This guy must have been fucking blasted on his Percocets that he was obviously. Well, I don't yeah. think they had Percocets back then. It must have been they his morphine. Something. Some, yeah, something and he's like been that. Taking morphine for his fucked up leg or whatever's wrong with him, fucked up back. I don't know. This is just the one kill where I'm like, you know what? I probably would have killed this motherfucker too. Uh, interesting thing: the actor who played him actually did have a real broken leg, and that was his real cast. Ah, uh. yeah. It's interesting. He like broke it right before. The original character was only supposed to have a broken hand, like broken arm or whatever. But then this guy broke his leg in real life, and they're like, well, it fucking fits. I hope that's the only thing that the actor has in common with him. Because this guy sucks. Uh, he's uh he was in he was in um Devil's Rejects. He's been in a few Rob Zombie movies, but then, you know, Michael kind of, he's, he's got him duct taped to the chair and he stands behind him and he slices his throat with a very large butcher knife. Ronnie immediately wakes up, but he can't move and he quickly bleeds to death as Michael stares him in the eyes. This is a very, very gory slit throat. I fucking love it. It's good stuff. It's the complete opposite of what the original would have did, but. I absolutely love it, and I love that he lifts the mask up and lets Ronnie see, like, look at him in the face as he's laying there bleeding to death. And he's he's under the influence of candy corn right now, and you can see it. You can see it in his face. The pupils are definitely dilated in the shape of candy corns. Gross. When we see Judah's boyfriend, uh, he he heads downstairs. 
and he goes to make a sandwich. And as he is stealing all the Myers' family lunch meat, Michael walks up behind him and strikes him in the head with a metal bat. The lunch meat thief then falls to the floor, where Michael repeatedly full sends that fucking bat into that dude's head. I love this kill. Um, after the first shot to the back of the head, when he starts having a seizure, like the detail, it, it, it made it made it a lot more like gruesome, but a lot more realistic too. That he's sitting there, like you know, in real life. A lot of people who take really bad head trauma will have seizures. It's uh, something to do with your your brain's trying to protect itself, and I, I thought that was awesome. I thought the the thought to put the seizure in the movie, like that's one thing I don't think I've ever seen in a, a another horror movie. Is anybody ever take a shot to the head and have a seizure? And we get that shot of his like leg twitching and he's seizing up, and then Michael just goes to fucking town with that baseball bat. And uh, it's the result is a beautiful thing. Well, I think this scene is also important because, you know, we we see that Michael doesn't only kill people that treat him wrong. Like this guy didn't really do like he was not actually mean to him. He did. He did say sorry, squirt. I mean, the little bit of interaction. Called him a squirt. He just didn't really seem like he was nowhere near. He didn't really seem like he had any issue with him. And Michael never really says anything about him. And I think it just shows that, you know, once Michael's in killing mode, it really doesn't matter. It doesn't matter the situation. He just kills. Like, he's just this killing machine, drunk off candy corn. Yeah. And this one's just the the aftershot of his head. It's one of my favorite parts as far as the gore and the effects of the entire it's movie. A fuck ton of like, blood. His beaten skull looks fucking awesome so shout out to the uh, fx team on that one so once michael is satisfied with the brain relocation attempt he then walks upstairs we then see him walk into judith's room where she is lying on the bed asleep with headphones on i wonder how many horror movies has don't fear the reaper been in i don't know but i i told you that uh, i think in our second episode uh, I, I forgot what movie it was in. It was one of our first episodes that this is the movie I think of every time I hear this song now. I, th- I think of this particular kill. It's funny. I actually think about Scream. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you told me that, I think, in, the, in that episode. Anyway, we see Michael put on the white Captain Kurt mask and he is holding this huge butcher knife. He starts like gently touching Judith's legs, kind of like sexually, I guess. And this awakens Judith. And when she sees it is her brother, she gets pissed. She starts asking him like what's wrong with him. She starts like smacking him in the face. And he then answers her back by stabbing the shit out of her. We see her stumble down the hallway. She's like covered in blood. Michael kind of slowly walks up behind her. And then he carves her up like a Christmas ham. Yeah, the the slices are brutal. Like, she's trying to get away, and he's just... You see him come from behind. And one thing I'll say is this kid wearing this full-size Michael Myers mask, this scene would probably be probably be fucked up nine out of ten times. Like, this is such an easy scene to do, and it come out, like, cringy-looking. Like, how do you take this little kid and put a full-size... 
adult Michael Myers mask on him and make him kill uh, three adults and it be realistic and be done good, I thought they did it amazing. Yeah, this is every one of every one of his kills as a child is amazing. It really, I mean, every one of them. Like, I would almost argue that in this movie, his killing style as a kid is better than his killing style as an adult. He's it's getting more his fucking hormones it's almost raging. More brutal, and I don't know if it's more brutal. We see it more brutal because he's a child, but it seems like older Michael just kind of kills quick to get it out of the way. But this, this is almost like revenge murder. This is different. Yeah, he like I said, he's got those hormones raging. He's uh, how old is he in this movie? Like twelve? He's ten. Ten? Yep. Well, they're starting in there because he's got some serious fucking rage boiling in the background. Um, I think, and we'll get obviously at the end of the episode on best kill, but I think that as far as uh, groups of kills, that this is the the some of the best kills we get in the movie. So sometime later that night, Deborah arrives home from work to find Michael and the baby sitting out on the front porch. This worries Deborah, who tries to ask Michael, like, what's wrong, but he doesn't answer. He's, like, in this, like, trance state. We then jump to a little bit later where there are tons of cops. You know, the coroner's there. There's a bunch of news reporters, like, the whole nine yards. And there's this really cool camera scene um, where everything's frozen. Yep. And it kind of pans across like the whole, uh, not necessarily like, um, you know, the crime, murder. It's not, the crime scene. It's the crime scene, yeah. but it's from outside the crime mm-hmm. scene. And you get this amazing, like everything's frozen, but it's panning. And then, you know, it stops on Michael kind of sitting in the cop car. Uh, that is cinematography was my favorite scene in the movie. Yeah, I had a highlight on that as well. Shout out to the cinematographers on that scene. I uh, thought that was done. Really cool. And the way he locks eyes with the camera when he looks over in the car and just has this evil look in his eyes. Um, that was that was really cool. It's cool, re- cool scene. It's really cool, too, because, you know, everything's frozen. Like, you know, you see all the people frozen. There's like they're holding like a blanket and the blanket's like frozen in the air. But then there's other stuff like the lights and shit is still like moving. So it's just this kind of weird, kind of freaky. Um, some stuff's moving but most of the stuff is not. But. It's like everything's frozen, but the the police sign lights are still flickering back and forth. Like they're not locked into one color. It's a well well thought out scene. We then get a eleventh month eleventh month time jump and kind of this quick news report that basically says ten year old Michael was found guilty of first degree murder. He has been sent to Smith Grove Sanitarium for incarceration and that the judge has assigned Dr. Samuel Loomis to care for Michael during his time at Smith Groves. What is the chances of that? Yeah. Well, yeah, he just got basically almost a lifelong paycheck. Yeah, it's just they brought in this random doctor at school. The principal brought in this doctor at school to talk to him, and it just so happens to be the uh, guy works for... This mental facility he well, gets sent to? Well, uh, so there's like, there's, I guess, some scenes that got cut out a little bit because the news report says it was the longest and most expensive criminal case in the state's history. 
And some of the stuff that got cut out is like, so Loomis actually testified in court uh, for Michael's case. And he basically also wrote like a letter to the judge that says that, you know, he didn't believe Michael should be let free, that he needed to be pretty much locked up forever. And that's the reason why the judge like assigned him to it is because I guess he had prior experience with Michael before the killing, even though it was like one meeting with his mom. And then he goes into the court and argues that, you know, he evaluated him and he should be locked up. And then, you know, he, he totally didn't evaluate him. He, he didn't did even meet him. He met his mom. Yeah, that's it. What a what a way to sneak yourself in into a, a paycheck. Yeah. But uh, we see a bunch of meetings with Loomis and Michael seems to have like no memory of the murders. He isn't really like affected by it either. He doesn't realize like his whole family is dead. Like he even asks about them. Well, see, I wondered that. Does does he really not know or is he playing that off? Because he's a psychopath and he's he's not dumb. Does he know that if he plays that up, it might get him out one day? You know, I don't know. I mean, that's a possibility. But at the same well, time, he goes into well, this rage and then he goes into this trance afterwards, like at the crime scene. He doesn't really try to like get away or anything. Well, so, think, think about this. He stashed the mask and knife before his mom even got home in the house and he goes and gets it later on. Yeah. Yeah. I, I so know he that, remembers what happened. I don't know. You know, the brain is a mystery to even people who study brains. Sometimes weird shit happens. I don't really think there's any evidence to say he does or does not remember it. He could yeah. be, he could be making it up. I don't know. Yeah. It's hard to tell. And that's one thing. Uh, another of the prequel side of this movie that I love is this whole, everything coming up they show his descent into darkness because this, I will say this kid is a great actor. Like he plays the really psychotic, dark raging Michael really well, but then he'll turn around and play a perfect kid, like a completely normal kid. And this kind of the, the next 10 minutes of the movie really does a good job showing his descent into darkness. So we see that Deborah continues to visit him every week and Michael always asks her like when he can go home. Michael starts to make masks out of paper and tape and he begins to kind of wear them during he, uh, him and Loomis's meetings, which kind of progresses him into constantly wearing them. And during this, uh, Michael pretty much begins to shut down emotionally and it becomes like more and more and eventually he kind of stops talking to anybody. During one of Deborah's visits, Michael just sits in silence. She eventually decides to leave, and her and Loomis exit the room, and Loomis instructs a nurse to watch over Michael while he is gone. Michael then stabs her in the neck with a fork and begins to go into an uncontrollable rage. Yeah, he fucking rages, rages. Um, one thing that, that I thought was interesting is, uh, so Deborah asked him to take the mask off. At one point, and he says, uh, no, that it hides his ugliness. And I thought that that was a kind of really insightful statement that he made. Because if you look, every kill that he has as a kid, he puts the mask on right before he does it. 
And that comment that it kind of hides his ugliness, uh, I think, gives some insight in the fact that he knows what he's doing from the outside, from other people's perspective, is is a really bad thing. And he kind of tries to hide behind the mask. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense that he has very low self-esteem because everyone around him, school, home, everything, does nothing but downs him. He doesn't have doesn't really get any positive reinforcement except for his mom. That's it. Then we see kind of Deborah sitting at home. She's watching like old family videos and crying. She obviously believes that Michael is no longer the same kid and that he is unsavable at this point. Yeah, they they actually they lock eyes whenever he kills her with that fork. And I think that that was the turning point for her because he's he's like freaking out. He's got that evil look in his eyes. I think that's the first time that she sees it that. You know, as a parent, you're kind of in denial. You, you know, you kind of want. She thinks it's a one time. Yeah, he snapped. It's a one time thing. But then he kills this person. You know, for no X reason. Amount of time later, over a year later, for for no reason, just and, to just to do it. Yeah, yep. I think that was the the turning point for her. That was the nail in the coffin for her when they locked the eyes and he's like screaming whenever the security guards are pulling her back. I think that was it. We then see her commit suicide with a gun. You know, we hear the gun go off and then we hear Michael's baby sister screaming in the background. We then jump 15 years later and Michael has definitely been eating his vegetables because he's fucking huge. Yes, he is. Yeah, um, this is, we end up meeting like this, uh, this new guard too. And I call him the scruffy white guard. And I'm pretty sure he watches NASCAR. Yeah, he's like a NASCAR guy. Yeah, he's yeah. You know, like this has nothing to do with the movie, but I want to throw that out there real quick. Um, One of the things I got like sucked into watching videos a couple weeks ago is, you know, like all the video games are online now. So NASCAR's video games are also online and you, I guess, could get on there and kind of enter into a lobby with a bunch of other people that's going to play a race. I don't know how many nascar cars are on the track at once but say used, used to be 43 all right we'll say 43 then you pretty much can get in the lobby with 42 other people and you all get a car and then you do this big race and what's interesting is everyone's mics are you are all together like oh, you know any, anytime you know you want to say something to whatever car you know you can say it's just a free-for-all and there's these amazingly funny videos out there of these because every one of them sounds like they're from like alabama they all have these super country accents and they get into arguments with each other about the race and it's so it's gold because they're like a number 17 you motherfucker you just put me in the fucking wall <laughs> like i'm gonna fucking get you kicked out of this lobby you don't want to fuck with me you some bitch this, this is actually <laughs> how nascar is in real life too it's maybe like if they could fight afterwards oh the if they shit could fight on the talk, track afterwards they totally would the shit they talk to each other is so great because then he'd be like you know i didn't mean to put you in the wall but if you're gonna be a son of a bitch you know you can meet me at the walmart in fucking illinois if you want to and oh guarantee you motherfucker number 17 i'll be at the walmart you put me in the fucking wall i mean it's it's gold Bro, it's that's gold. exactly how it happens in real life. Like I was, a, I was a, as you know, a, whenever I was a lot younger, when I was a kid, I was a Jeff Gordon fan, and uh, I haven't watched NASCAR in a 
since I was a kid, but that's how it was. That's exactly how it went in real life. Like, well, I didn't mean to put you in the wall, but if you want to meet after the race, we'll, we'll, we'll fucking, we'll go down, Bo. Yeah. I seen one. He's like, uh, well, I told you motherfucker, I was going high and then you tried to pass me and I went high and you went into the wall. It's your fault. And I'm like, I don't know half the slang you're talking about, but if you want to laugh and burn, you know, 30 minutes, just look that shit up. Cause there's a ton of them. They're all talking shit to each other. Drive fast and eat ass. It should be a South Park episode is what it should be. <laughs> and they're all, they're idle. Every one of them is Dale Earnhardt. So this this guard, when I seen him, he reminded me of those guys from the video. But So um, the guards, they bring Michael to meet with Loomis, and Loomis informs him that he will be leaving Smith, Smith's Grove. We then see that Loomis has written a book on his time with Michael Myers and is traveling around promoting the book with the projector light in his face. Yeah, and he hasn't. Yeah, <laughs> glad you you picked up on that too. Yeah, I'm like, how like, are that you would not be like squinting or blind at this an point? Absolute fucking nightmare trying to go up there and do a whole entire speed, probably forty five minutes of talking with a projector light in your face, like of all things, you know. We we used to play in a band, and you know, just the stage lights alone can get really bright. Sometimes, whenever there's really good lights, you can't even hardly see the crowd, or you'll be able to see like the first couple people in the front. Uh, I don't. Uh, this guy probably didn't see for three days. Hey, you motherfucker! You better get that light out of my eyes before I put you in that fucking wall. Uh, fuck you, Bo. Later that night, a uh, scruffy white guard and what appears to be his cousin are getting a new female inmate out of her room to rape her. They decide to take her to Michael's room to abuse both Michael and the girl. And as they enter his room, he is sitting at a desk making a mask from paper and tape. They proceed to start talking. Uh, t- they proceed to start taking turns raping the girl on Michael's bed while shouting at him to join in on the rape. Michael shows them no attention, which aggravates them more. One of them then grabs one of his masks on the wall and puts it on his face, which grabs Michael's attention. He then gets up and begins to beat both men to death. So the double rape that was going on four feet away did not bother Michael Myers. Nope. But when that dude touched his mask, now we've crossed the line. Yep. I picked that up too. He didn't flinch over the rape. Nope. And even look. What? What? What made this guy think that this was a good idea? Knowing his past, what's what's take somebody in his room with him not tied up or anything, and what's what's let's have a devil gangbang rape uh, in his room? I actually hate this rape scene. Yeah, this I is they they, it. they they it's too they long. Show a lot. It's too much. Yeah, they do show a lot, but it it makes the. Uh, kill a little better i will say that i felt though after this rape scene like the kill should have been better than it was now i wonder what happened because they ripped their arms they don't show what he does with the girl that was in his room yeah i wonder i assume he kills her because he kills everybody but did you know is there any room in michael for a soft spot you know he was bullied as a kid my answer is going to be no. I, I don't think he did. I think he killed her. But uh, I'm glad that 
they at least didn't show him killing her after having to endure what she did. I'm also very glad that a uh, white trashy guard dude died with his pants down in his yellow ass underwear. Bro, I love this skill too. Like when, when he gets slammed up against the wall, like his skull and that, that little squirt, like the perfect amount of blood squirts out the back. Looks like a, like a artery or a capillary in the, in the back of his skull just busted when he got slammed and it just spits out this perfect amount of blood up in the air. So Michael ends up murdering everyone on the night staff at Smith's Grove and escaping the facility. Next, we see him show up to a truck stop where he ultimately ends up murdering a trucker named Grizzly Joe in order to steal his clothes. And Michael now has his famous blue coveralls. We now jump back to the Haddon, uh, the, <laughs> the Haddonfield uh, on October 31st. We meet the Strode family during their breakfast. I thought that um, because we met the Myers family during breakfast and then we meet the Strode family also during breakfast, I think that they did this to show the polar opposites of this family. It is the same, it's the same scene, the same setting, the same stuff going on, but you have pure chaos and hate. And then in this one, you actually have like, love and caring and a everywhere. functional family yes very yeah. i think that they did this introduction to both of these families which we find out one of these people was there for both of these incidents she's been a member of both these families and you just see that there is such a polar opposite of these yeah that's a good catch yeah. i mean i didn't really put that comparison in but it's it's definitely a a lot different of a situation because she even says too yeah um What's her name? Uh, Cynthia Strode is making eggs and somebody comes down and goes to eat a bagel, which is what they were eating at the the same shit that happened at the Myers house. And she says, no, thank you. I don't want eggs. And the only person that ends up eating the eggs is the mom who cooked them, just like in the previous scene. I mean, it's literally an exact copy of the scene, except for how dysfunctional the characters are. Yeah, that's uh, definitely two different worlds. Yeah, so they are pretty much your average upper middle class family of three. You have Mason, the loving husband and father and real estate agent. Then you have uh, Cynthia Strode. She's like the loving and caring stay at home wife and mother, which by the way, she's played by fucking D. Wallace, which was super cool. Um, and finally, we have Lori, the 17 year old daughter who seems to be a good student, stays out of trouble, and has a great relationship with her parents. While Mason and Lori leave for work and school, Mason asks her to drop off a packet at an abandoned home in the neighborhood that he is trying to sell. Lori and the uh, kind of the kids uh, around the neighborhood that she babysits, Tommy Doyle, walk to the house and slip the packet into the mail slot of the abandoned home, where we then see that Michael's standing on the other side of the door watching Lori. The old house is actually the former Myers residence. Michael has returned to retrieve his mask and knife, which he had hidden in the floor after the murders when he was 10 years old. And now we have a fully assembled Michael Myers. Yep, an hour into the movie. I don't know if it's a full hour, but it's, it's about like, 56 minutes until Laurie yeah. Strode actually appears in the movie. Actually, An hour. Yeah. Uh, 
it's weird having a Halloween with Laurie Strode not in the first hour of it, but even even more weird is Michael Myers not being fully assembled. Yeah, they have his the his full adult size and his his overalls that he that he killed from Joe whatever the fuck his name Joe is. Joe Grizzly. I was thinking when he killed him, like, uh, you know, he obviously went in there to steal some clothes and. What kind of luck did he get walking into some other massive guy that he could fit <laughs> clothes into? They when they fought too, that was a that big was fight. a good scene. They they literally destroyed that uh that entire bathroom stall. And I actually remember a long time ago I seen Rob Zombie talking about that scene that they're both really big dudes and they they legit like fucked that bathroom stall up in there doing that scene. That's cool. We jump over to Lori's school where we meet her two best friends. We have Annie Beckett, who is the outgoing and mischievous daughter of the local sheriff, and Linda Vanderklok, the head cheerleader who is very confident in her looks and kind of bitchy. And I just want to say, here's our Delilah. Yep, I was going to say very conceited instead of confidence, what I got in there. There's a fine line between those two, and that she definitely falls on the conceited side. But yes, she is Delilah. Next, we see the three girls leaving school. They begin to walk down the sidewalk and into their neighborhood when they suddenly notice Michael watching them from across the street. Uh, Linda and Annie begin to like tease and and antagonize him when Annie finally yells that her father is the sheriff. Michael then kind of turns around and disappears. Just then, Annie's dad, Sheriff Brackett, pulls up and offers them a ride. Lori and uh, Linda decline and all three girls kind of split and go their own separate ways to their houses. We then see that Michael has followed Lori home and is now watching the house. Bro, how many times do you think Anna used uh, my dad's the sheriff? You can tell by the way she says it. Like she probably says that three times a week to somebody. Everybody who pisses her off. My dad's the sheriff. So Smith Grove has now informed Dr. Loomis of Michael's escape He meets with them to try to tell them that Michael is most likely heading to Haddonfield. They don't really take him seriously, so he decides to go after Michael himself. We see uh, Loomis pull up to the Haddonfield Cemetery and meets up with the caretaker, who's, hey, fucking Captain Spaulding. Sid, hey. Yeah, we get, yeah, I totally forgot that he had a little appearance in this movie. Didn't remember that at all, and I was stoked to see, see him in it. Yeah, um, Really glad that we we got some some Captain Spaulding in here. The second awesome. second week in a row we've had a, a Sid Sid Haig in a movie. Upon walking through the graves, they come across a dead animal placed on a very like crudely made cross, and it's in place of this missing tombstone. Loomis immediately knows that Michael is back in Haddonfield and has stolen his mother's grave marker. Bro, just imagine this: the night before. Michael Myers shows up in Haddonfield. He creeps into the cemetery where he probably takes a long time because it's a big cemetery to find his mom's grave. And then he spends the next four hours hunting a coyote so he can dismember it and weave together a cross to put it on her grave. Like how, where the fuck did he get a coyote from? I was picturing how odd it would be to be driving down the road at night and see a man in a blue jumpsuit with a mask carrying a full-scale concrete 
tombstone on his shoulder. I would be impressed. I would be <laughs> like, that's got to be styrofoam. Yeah. Like, that thing's fucking ha- huge. Halloween decoration. And he's just like, just walking down the street with it. So he did all this in one night. He escaped. He killed a guy and stole his overalls. He Got walked a hundred miles. Hundred miles. Maybe he stole his fucking truck. I don't know. Uh, I mean, he can take the mask off and he look did normal. Not, he did not steal uh, his truck. Rom Zombie said that he, just he did not fast. want Michael Myers to drive in this one because he drove in previous ones and it didn't make yeah, sense. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. Yeah, he didn't uh, steal it. Well, he gets a hundred miles walking. I'm going to assume that he killed the coyote on the way during the 100-mile walk and went ahead and, and got across together, got to this massive cemetery where he had to find his mom, stole the 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 headstone that probably weighed like, I mean, it's a big headstone. That thing probably weighed like 400 pounds, if not more, and then carries it all the way back and has to track down his old house. That's a lot to do in one night. That's impressive. He's a busy man. It is now Halloween night, and we uh, and we see that Linda and her boyfriend. <laughs> I meant to correct this. I wrote him as Steve. <laughs> Where'd you get Steve from? I don't know. <laughs> what is? I don't know, man. I caught it this time. What is with you writing <laughs> random names? I don't in even there. know who Steve is. Well, you know I, what? I caught it and I was like, "Oh fuck, I gotta find." I don't, I don't remember how I caught it, but I, rem- I was, remember I was reading and I was like, "Wait a minute, his name's not Steve." I don't remember what it is now. Uh-huh. But I was like, "Oh, I got it." Before we do this, I've got to go back in, and I've got to change it to Steve from Steve to whatever, whatever I found out his name was, and then I forgot, and now here I am again. You know, two weeks later, I have made up a name for a. It is a boyfriend too. It's another boyfriend yeah. who gets killed. I don't know. I don't know what his name is. But Nameless. I, I named him Steve. Well, he is the one character in the entire movie that I also couldn't find his fucking name and didn't hear anybody say it. Oh, his name's Bob. Bob. It, so I found out because it's on the kill list. Okay, well, that's good. Cause I, I, I have Steve? him as as Linda's boyfriend. I don't know. Steve and Bob are both generic white <laughs> guy names. It's like, it's like the two Steve most Bob, generic. They, they sound exactly the same. I mean, tomato, it, tomato. they are like the two. Like if you're if you're playing Family Feud and the question you're in the, the buzz around against the other family. And the question is generic white guy names. Steve and Bob are going to be the first two answers on the board. Well, I don't know where I got there with Steve John. From. Maybe John in there, too, but. Is there Steve, another character named Steve? No. No, there's not. <laughs> you have completely created a character name. Again, Larry. It, this is well, Larry all over again. Well, at least last time, the actor playing the character's <laughs> name was was Larry. I'm not sure what this actor's name is. I don't, I don't think it's Steve. I don't know. He's got. Could it's be. like a... 10% chance it's Steve. It's well, such a generic name. He's fucking Steve for right now because I don't, I don't, I'm not going to remember to correct it. But Steve are heading into <laughs> the old Myers house to do some old underage drinking and fornication. And while walking into the house, we see that Michael's upstairs just like chilling on the balcony. <laughs> just sitting right out front on the front balcony. He lets him finish too. He gets, he gets a good watch in. Oh yeah, I can bring that up here in a minute. So after Steve's uh, below average sexual performance, <laughs> this is sad. Who's, 
who the fuck asks like on a if you have to ask the girl on a scale of one to ten right after when you blew your load too quick and you were on the bottom you didn't even do anything uh you're probably you're probably pretty far down there on that scale of one to ten booed off stage man it's like at least to tell me it was big to something but Linda demands that he go to the van and grab more beer. Steve grabs a few cans and a very basic white uh, sheet ghost costume. And on his way back upstairs, Michael slams him against a wall, picks him up by his neck, and stabs him in the heart, killing him instantly. Pins, pins him to the fucking wall. That's yeah. that's one thing. I, that's what I like the most about this kill. And it's one of my favorite kills from the movie because he doesn't just get stabbed in the heart. He literally pins him to the fucking wall with his knife and then just lets him hang there. Well, one thing, I mean, you just kind of touched on this, but one thing I've noticed because we just recently watched part seven, the new blood. So Jason does a lot of his kills like right before or during sex. Michael, at least in this version is you know, he's, you know, pretty nice, but he waits for everybody to finish up. Because there was somebody else previously in the movie that he let them fuck before. Oh, it's his sister. His sister, He yeah. let his sister and her boyfriend fuck, and then he killed him. I think he, I think he interrupts Paul, though. But he does. But, uh, which is a shame. But he was Paul. in a hurry. He's he, probably it jealous. Was, it was time to get the plan in motion. I've seen Danielle Harris and got jealous. She's was, fucking bad. Yeah, Paul. Uh, I will get to that, but he he his death may have been worth it because he did get in. They did. Uh, they did start. Speaking of that, speaking of Paul, that actor actually, I think he's some kind of DJ or something. But he actually auditioned for the role of. Steve, I think. <laughs> he, he auditioned for the role of this guy who's not even in the movie. Well, that character, whatever his <laughs> Linda's boyfriend. Is, Linda's boyfriend. He auditioned for that role, but he didn't get it. He ended up getting Paul. They gave him Paul. I thought instead. you said his name was Bob. Be a fucking Bob, whatever. He auditioned for Bob and got and got wait, no. He auditioned for Yeah, he auditioned <laughs> for Bob and he got Paul. And I was like, how lucky is I was that? Like, well, poor him. Yeah. <laughs> they must have really liked him. Well, he, you know, I'm sure he didn't like know Paul was going to be laying on top of a topless Daniel Harris. But man, when, you know, I would like to see his. He clearly did. No, he would have been auditioning for that and not auditioning for Bob. But yeah, anyway, um, so Michael puts on Steve's shitty ghost costume and he walks into the room where Linda is laying. Linda, of course, is being a bitch to whom she thinks is Steve. And she gets up, walks over, and like snatches his beer from him and turns to walk off. Michael then jerks the sheet off himself and grabs her by the throat, crushing her windpipe and killing her. I love that they they put the ghost the ghost kill in here. Yeah, That's a classic. shout out to the original. Mm-hmm. Uh the 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 super simple OG first Halloween costume ever. The sheet over the white yep. sheet ghost uh, with the glasses. Don't forget the glasses. You got to be able to see through that sheet. Um, I, I'm, I just wanted to shout that out. Yeah. One thing though is like Linda didn't realize that all of a sudden her boyfriend's like seven foot tall and fucking huge. I mean, the guy she's with is pretty tall. He ain't that he, damn tall. He ain't that big. Like he, he's not like 
Michael's Built taken big. up almost the whole doorway. Like yeah, that guy well, didn't he, do that. He is because actually, whenever when uh, Michael pins him up against the wall with the knife when he kills him, you can actually see how how much taller he really is, and yeah. it's huge. But anyway, uh, so right after this, we see Loomis ain't fucking around. He heads to a gun shop and buys one of the biggest handguns you can get. We cut to Lori sitting on the porch with her parents. She is saying her goodbyes for the night because she is off to go babysit Tommy Doyle. Lori then hops in the car with Annie and drives off. Cynthia, her mom, then gets up and heads inside, leaving Mason on the porch to enjoy a cigarette. And a knife. Suddenly, we see Michael slash Mason's neck and rush into the house. He begins to go after Cynthia, who is in a panic. He shows her a picture of Lori, and she screams no, and he then breaks her neck. This is a truth commercial. That's what this is. For cigarettes? For cigarettes. For anti-cigarettes. What happens to everyone is, who smokes cigarettes. Yeah, You'll be murdered. This is what happens, Mason, when you smoke cigarettes. And I'm going to kill your wife for all the secondhand smoke she's probably taken in over the years. Because she's practically already dead. You've already killed her. You know who... This is for you, Mason. You know what kills more people than cigarettes? Candy corn. Yeah, goddamn Candy right. fucking corn. Candy corn kills more people than cigarettes, car wrecks, alcohol, fentanyl, all put together. Yeah, so war, 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 we gotta put war in there. Definitely. So Lori is now at the Doyle home watching Tommy. And I want to point this out because I don't know if you caught this. I, this is this was huge when I realized this. Tommy Doyle is dressed up as Otis from House of a Thousand Corpses. What? Yeah. Is he? Yes. I looked, I even went and once I noticed this, it drove me nuts. I went and pulled up a picture of Otis during the ritual when they're burning that girl's body. Does he have like the upside down cross and stuff? That's on the his only head? thing he doesn't have. He has the red like outfit with the hood. He has the same exact paint face. He doesn't have the cross, but you can't tell if he has the cross or not because Tommy Doyle has long ass bangs down to his fucking eyes. So we can't see if there's the cross. So then I pulled it up and I looked and it's it, the exact same makeup. And then a little bit later on during my research of interesting stuff about the movie, the very last fact about the movie was Tommy Doyle was dressed up as Otis from the end of House of a Thousand Corpses. Oh, that's fucking awesome. Yes. The only thing that could have been cooler than that is if they had him wearing Otis's costume previously in the night, which I don't think would have been appropriate. The only thing <laughs> that Tommy Doyle didn't have was the chest. Remember, Otis has the chest on underneath the, the red robe. Too. Yeah, yeah. No, he 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 has a dip, he doesn't have the Santa robe on during the ritual. He has like this really cool, like um, I don't know, like gothic, but it's yeah. solid red robe. Yeah, no, but he he just needed to find. Uh, I can't remember her name now because it's been a whole week. But her dad that gets killed, his his cut Willis. off his Willis. Yep. Yeah, he needed Willis's cut off face and and body. And uh, it would have been a lot more recognizable. That's awesome, though. That's dope. I never, I've never caught that as many times as I've seen this movie. I don't think I would have noticed it if I hadn't just watched A House in Thousand Corpses. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. I've never noticed that. It's almost, it's almost like the same guy directed it. Almost. And his Where? wife was in both movies. Where did Rob go? He's still, I guess, looking for that dirty top hat. Yeah, we, we got a... 
we got a secret to to tell you guys. We actually could only afford to pay him for the first thirty seconds of the show. We're sorry. Um, we paid him in dirt. We did. He's he's actually playing with it right now yeah. out back. I I can hear him rolling around violently in the dirt. So Annie calls Lori to tell her that she is bringing over Lindsay Wallace, the little girl who she's babysitting just a few houses down. She wants to drop Lindsay off so she can um, pretty much like leave Lindsay with Lori so she could go back to the Wallace house and fuck her boyfriend, Paul. Lori agrees and tells them to head on over. Dr. Loomis tracks down Sheriff Brackett and tells him about Michael he doesn't really take him serious, but he kind of invites him to meet him at the station and get a little more info on the situation. Loomis tells him about Michael's baby sister, whose existence is not publicly known, and that he believes Michael is after her. This gets Brackett's attention because he knows who adopted Angel Myers after Deborah's suicide. He calls the Strode residence and gets no answer, and they rush out of the station and head to Lori's parents' house. Annie is now back at the Wallace's house with her boyfriend, whose name doesn't matter because he's about to uh, he's about to get like ninety seconds scream time. Was Paul. it Paul? It's Paul. Yeah, yeah, whatever. He barely but- in the fucking movie. I didn't even look him up. They are making out on the couch when we see Michael walk up behind them. Michael picks him up by his neck and immediately stabs him. Annie attempts to escape, but is forced to try and fight off Michael. She is quickly subdued and dragged into the next room. You think that uh, Michael didn't finish her off because he felt bad? I think he didn't finish her off because she's Daniel Harris. That's what I'm saying. Like he's seen this. I he's seen a topless Daniel Harris, and he just couldn't bring himself to it. You know, it's better than that. Is she's? I think her face is our, our best asset. She is guy. Oh, extremely I know. I agree. Face. She is. She is a. I don't have very many celebrity crushes. I don't, I don't follow celebrities very much, but she is one of them. And from what I know of her, she's really awesome down there. She loves horror movies and. She she has a beautiful face. I think her think her face are better than her breasts. I I do uh, like follow her on like social media and stuff, and she does do a ton of horror stuff. She's awesome. But interesting enough, she actually has a horror podcast. Oh, yes. she's a competitor then. She is, but I don't care. Ah, uh, well, you know, yeah, we'll, we'll just have to get over that. Um, yeah, but I agree with you. Beautiful face. She's awesome. Her personality's great. She's gorgeous. Fantastic. 10 out of 10. I love her. If she wanted to get married tomorrow, I'd do it. Yeah, Paul, Paul, uh, probably, it was worth it for him. His death was probably worth it. So after this, Lori decides to take Lindsay home. She uh, leaves Tommy at his house uh, to watch this movie, and she walks Lindsay a few houses down. Upon opening the door, they find Annie bloody, beaten, but alive on the floor. Her boyfriend, though, fucking fuckface Paul, <laughs> is hanging from the staircase with a pumpkin on his head. This was this was jealousy, I'm telling you. Michael was like, damn, that girl is very pretty. I don't blame him. And 
I'm going to kill this guy. You know what will impress her is if I kill her boyfriend and hang him from the stairs. And put a jack-o'-lantern over his head, which is what I thought was the coolest part. Like, how much how much time do you think Michael spent rigging him up in the air while Annie's laying there, like, dying? And he's, I mean, you know it took some time. I don't know. I don't even know how he was rigged up to the ceiling. You have to get out, like, the stepladder. Sure, that's all it took for him. I, I don't know. I mean, he's a very, uh, he doesn't really care about time. Like, you know, we've just seen his whole setup of the night before with the, the fox and the steel and the tombstone. And Maybe he can freeze time. Maybe. Maybe, maybe or evil slows time. And he had time to carve this pumpkin. I don't know. But Lindsay Wallace, she runs back to Tommy's and Lori calls 911. It is revealed that Michael is still in the house and Annie tries to warn her. Sheriff Brackett gets the 911 call on the radio and he and Loomis rush to the scene. Michael then grabs Lori from behind, but she kind of manages to escape and she makes it back to Tommy Doyle's house. Once inside, her and the kids head upstairs with Michael close behind them. Two police officers arrive and begin to search the house, where Michael ultimately kills them both. He then breaks down the door and grabs Lori and carries her off. And one thing that kind of bugged me was one scene, Lori is like fighting him in the hallway while he's carrying her. The next scene, he's walking out the front door and Lori's fucking passed out. Yeah, yeah. I even rewound that, actually. This is like Jerry. I thought in my notes that I had missed him knock her out. So I rewound it and it does not show him ever knock her out obviously he knocks her the fuck out but it doesn't show it we do get this really awesome uh shot shout out to the cinematography it's like his silhouette carrying her down the street in the dark thought that was a really cool really cool shot yeah yeah they don't show it it just reminded me of jerry from last week you know like he was awake and then he was just out he's just knocked out also love the scene of her in the bathroom with the kids and the cops like come out and you're like, no, you you know, you know, she opens that door like it's going to go bad. But then you're like, well, there's there's cops clearing the house. So maybe maybe he rolled out when he heard the police. Nope. Out of all the doors to hide behind, you picked the glass door, though. Like, yeah, well, geez. she picked the glass door. So when that cop got killed, we got that awesome shot of the blood splatter she did it from purpose. inside of the bathroom. Yes, she wanted to see it. She's a little sick, too. She, she is a, a, a Meyer, technically. So Loomis and Brackett, they pull up to the Wallace house where Brackett finds his daughter Annie with like multiple stab wounds. Loomis runs out to the street where the two children run up to him and tell him that Michael took Lori. Lori wakes up in the basement of the old Myers house with the body of Linda laying close by and the missing tombstone. Michael walks out of the shadows and kneels in front of Lori. He removes his mask and he shows her a picture of him a picture of him and her as kids together. Lori doesn't really understand what he's like trying to tell her, but he sees uh, she sees Michael's knife like laying on the ground. She quickly grabs it and stabs him in the neck. And I'd say she must have stabbed him with a fucking sleep knife because he passes out immediately. <laughs> <laughs> them damn sleep knives. He yeah. has to slip some candy corn in him. 
and got fucked up, passed out. She put some fucking ambient on that shit, and he was done. His his little grave site that he makes for his mom, and I don't know why he's got Linda's body thrown on it. Kind of resembles her a little bit. Yeah, I was wondering if that was done for that reason, or he just just happened to kill her there. I used to see my mom naked all the time. (laughs) <laughs> does it, does do some weird shit with his touching his sister when he was a kid, but candy corn and he had it was the candy corn. But he has these jack o' lanterns carved out, laying all around. And my question is, do you think Michael carves the jack o' lanterns? Like, do you think he spends time carving these? He's got the knife to do it. Yeah, I do. I mean, or do you think he just steals them off people's porches? Like, is he that? Is he that guy? Is uh, Sam maybe. gonna show up and kill him for stealing people's pumpkins? Or the crossover we need, Sam versus Michael. <laughs> yes, you have disrespected Halloween. You stole somebody's jack o' lantern before Halloween ended, or blew it out. You stole it and it went out, and that's against the rules. I hate this part of the movie. I'm just gonna say that that's the only thing in this movie that I really hate is whenever he takes off his mask and he bows his head down to her. And I get what they're trying to do. I understand what they're trying to do. But it almost insinuates that uh, he is capable of feeling some type of sympathy or love. And as we've seen throughout all the other Michael Myers movies and this Michael Myers up until this point, he'll fucking kill anybody. Like, he doesn't care. Like, once he gets in that... That mood, he even kills Ishmael and the the guy who was nice to mm-hmm. him the entire Mikey. time. Yeah, and he's he's good to that guy, or that guy's good to him his his whole for fifteen. Years. And I loved that kill. That kill for me was the kill that showed that I I didn't want to see Ishmael die, but I was happy they did it because it showed Michael Myers will kill anybody. Like he he has no sympathy for anybody, even this guy who's been good to him for years. And now he is taking off his mask and kneeling down to her. Um, I didn't like that. Gotta say, it's the only part of this movie I didn't like. So she ends up escaping the basement with Michael pursuing her. She runs from the house, like into the backyard, where she ends up falling pretty damn hard right into the deep end of an empty pool. (laughs) It's pretty (laughs) funny. Damn pools. If you would have put like some blooper music, over top of that, it had been like one of them YouTube videos. People just eat shit. Uh, Michael then kind of corners her in the pool, but Loomis shows up and confronts him. Michael ignores Loomis's pleas, and he ends up shooting Michael three times. Loomis, uh, once Michael goes down, Loomis ends up helping Lori up, and they walk back to the cop car. And I this this is where I'm now going to complain. I fucking hate that. Was that the boogeyman line? Like it? That's cringy to me. Yeah, that, I hated it. I agree. That that was cringy. I didn't hate it as much as him like bowing down to her. Like it was. It was pretty bad. You got to think at this point, Michael. He's got to feel pretty betrayed. Like his sister, I guess, in this version of the movie that he was going to, I guess bow down to and then she was just gonna be like okay let's be siblings let's and be, be best let's friends be killers together and then michael myers just never killed anybody again he lived a normal life like i don't know what that was supposed to be but um she stabs him and then dr loomis who was his his only per i mean the person he's seen every day for uh, after his mom died it was the only person that came to see him every single day and you can tell he recognizes dr loomis's voice 
when he comes up behind him. Like he recognizes him, gets, turns and looks at him, but then he keeps going. He has been betrayed twice. So he's got to be pretty fucking pissed at this point. She's like, Michael, we can be brother and sister and you can touch my legs sexually and it not be that weird. Yeah, I won't get mad at you like like my other bitch sister. We'll do lines of candy corn together. <laughs> so just when they think it is over, Michael breaks the glass and pulls Lori from the car. He drags her inside where Loomis confronts him again. He ends up like squeezing Loomis's head and then like throws him to the ground. Like he doesn't kill him, but he like fucks him up. And Michael attempts to find Lori kind of throughout the house. She ends up like hiding in the wall. Then she ends up like hiding in the attic. And he begins to like tear the ceiling out looking for her. And as Lori crawls throughout the attic, she ends up like falling through this weak spot and she hits the floor. Bro, when she hits the floor and she gets up, like that shit fucks her up. You see like her face is covered in blood and yeah, she really stand like, up. like broke her nose and shit yeah. falling out of the... She fell like from like, you know, what, 10 feet, 9 feet or something? Bro, what that fall did, did more than Michael Myers had this entire time. Like this is really outside of him like knocking her out, which we don't see, and uh, him throwing her once. I'm pretty sure up until this point, he hasn't really fucked her up that much and the, should that fall out of that ceiling really did did her in the the myers house beat her ass it did like the house is evil maybe it did so um she comes across like loomis's gun and when michael like spots her he's like down the hallway he kind of ends up uh he like stands in the doorway and kind of stares at her he like drops his little fucking stick he has and then he runs full fucking speed at her tackling her and causing both of them to go through this like second story window. Lori awakens with her and Michael laying in the front yard. She climbs on top of him and points the gun at his head. She pulls the trigger three times with the gun not firing. On the fourth pull, we hear the gun go off and Lori is suddenly covered in Michael's blood. We see uh, this close up of like Lori's blood soaked face as she lets out a blood curdling scream. And that is the end. That Scout Taylor Compton gets a fucking A plus on the the Scream Queens test, undoubtedly. Um, that scream at the end, after the, I I loved it, that ending. Um, the only thing I will say I hated about the ending was Doctor Loomis, the whole thing they did with him, because uh, he he wasn't supposed to die. Like he's in almost all the original Halloweens, and the same guy plays him. Which I will say is something we haven't brought up. The guy that they got to play, Dr. Loomis, I thought, did an incredible job playing yeah. that character. Yeah, That's I, something I, loved I, him. I meant to bring up earlier. Um, the casting on him was great. But first, yeah, I mean, he gets his skull like crushed. like his, He starts bleeding out the eyes. And I'm like, well, you can't kill Dr. Loomis. He's but- not in the second one? I think he is in the he, second he, no, one. No, he's he doesn't die. He actually. doesn't die. No, yeah. I'm I'm getting at that. Uh, so at at first I'm like, well, what the fuck? You know, you can't kill him. But then he somehow miraculously survives getting his head crushed. Like you hear a skull like break. And I thought the whole him grabbing on to Michael's leg was was just kind of cringy. I didn't like it. Michael drags him like a little child. He does. Yeah, he does. But I, I hated that part. I'm glad he lived because he was supposed to live. I wish they would have did some different things with him. But the whole Lori with the gun and 
when it goes off because it doesn't go off the first couple of times. So you know it's going to go off, but at that point, you don't know which which squeeze of the trigger is going to do it. And when it does finally go off, the blood splatter that we get in her face and the scream we get that follows that is fucking awesome. Thought it was a great way to end this, in my opinion. Yeah, this is the unrated ending. There's, And this was the original ending, and it didn't test well. So they scrapped it and did another ending, which is the ending that most people know. And that ending is... Um, so Michael gets a hold of Lori and he's like, I don't know if he's going to take her somewhere. So he's, he's just got her. And, um, the police show up like Bracken and some cops show up and they all got their guns like pointed at him. And Loomis actually gets up and comes back over there. And he, he convinces Michael to let Lori go. And he does. And then when he lets Lori go, he also drops his knife. He's like giving up and, Loomis gets Lori and he's like kind of taking her away. And as soon as they get kind of clear from the area, the, uh, the police just unload their guns on Michael Myers. And that is, I believe the normal ending that most people know. Well, I have seen that ending cause it is on the DVD. I forgot about that. It's been a long time since I've seen it. I kind of forgot how that happens. Yeah. I don't like that. I'm glad that we got the director's cut that has the ending that we have so I think the her shooting him in the face and being covered in blood is a lot cooler than Michael Myers giving himself up to the police. Not, yeah. Not only that, but he has like sympathy and, and love for his sister. So he gives her up and he's going to turn himself into the police like that's stupid. I don't like that. Yeah, I like the unrated ending much better. It's more, I don't know, emotional. It's more raw kind of feeling, especially that that reaction that she lets out when his blood hits her face. I think that that's a far better ending. I'm really surprised that that didn't do well in test screenings. And then the other ending did well. I don't know. The other Where ending, did they test us at? The other ending seems more like a generic uh, good guys win, bad guys lose ending. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we still have a similar outcome in the unrated ending, but it makes it more personal that she's the one who kills Michael and how she does well, it. Well, it makes the second the movie, the second movie make a lot more sense too. Cause she's really fucked up by that. Yeah. And yeah, I, I hundred percent agree. I don't know where they, uh, tested screened the, the, this ending and it got bad reviews. I think this ending's way better. I'm convinced that scout Taylor Compton got the part based off of her ability the way she acts at the end, like that scream with that, the way she freaks out and screams, like when that blood splatters, because you could tell it surprises her. It's almost like when they shot this scene, they didn't tell her how many clicks it was going to take before it went off. I'm sure they did, but she plays it off so well. Like it, it literally that blood splattering across her face. You can tell really shocks her in that scene. And the scream that we get after that is, is awesome. Yeah, she they put her through a ton of auditions. Uh, apparently, it was you know way more than the normal would be. And even though um, they did that, Rob Zombie still says that she was always his first choice. So if she was her first choice, I'm not exactly sure why she had to do so many auditions. Like it was such a such a difficult role for her to obtain. But she does phenomenal. She does really good in this movie. Yeah, I agree. I think 
as much as people, the diehard fans of the original, probably hate her as Laurie Strode just because they don't like this movie. I thought she was a great Laurie Strode. I think she's better than Jamie Lee Curtis, but you know, I, I, I think she's. I know better a lot of people Jamie. are going to be mad about that, but I am not a Jamie Lee Curtis fan. Unfortunately, well, yeah, you know my opinion on that. I um, like Jamie Lee Curtis in H two O. I admit that I like her. She's really good in H two O. She plays that part really well because she's kind of plays like this bitchy principal of this prestige school. And I'm like, that's perfect. That's perfect for her. That's how she is in real life. I like Jamie Lee Curtis in this Halloween. Not in it. Not, not, in, not it. in it. Sitting at home on the couch, bitching about the mosquitoes in South Carolina. Uh, yeah, she did not like uh, being here from yeah. 2018. It's like just very, very smug attitude about that. But yeah, um, I, yeah, definitely. But the better Lori Strode, in my opinion. But anyway, uh, we'll talk about a little bit of interesting facts about this movie. Uh, Tyler Maine is the tallest actor to portray Michael Myers at the height of 6'8". Yeah, he's pretty tall. I thought he was at least 7 foot, but he ain't quite 7 foot. Well, they probably big, put him though. in some boots, though, that made him about yeah. 7 foot. He's fucking big, though. Yeah, he's big dude. He's, he's fucking... Uh, it's big dude. Just put it like that. So Emma Stone auditioned for the part of Laurie Strode. That would have been weird. Yeah. She doesn't, she, she's not ever been in a horror movie that I can think of. She's she a, just doesn't really seem like a horror movie type of actress to me. She's a big name too. Like, I guess she's been in Zombieland, but I wouldn't consider Zombieland like a horror movie. It's no, that's a comedy. Kind of a horror comedy. It's just really mostly just a comedy. Yeah, that would have been. I like her, but. Yeah, I don't have anything against her. I think she's a great act- actress. Um, it would have been interesting. I don't think she would have done necessarily better, but it, it would have been interesting. So Rob Zombie originally wanted Danielle Harris to play Lori and Sherry Moon to play Linda. Bro, you wanted your 30 something year old <laughs> fucking wife. Who played a mom of all these, you know, a mom in this movie of three very well, very believe. She's probably like fucking forty years old. Yeah, she played the you forty year old to play stripper. a seventeen year old. Yeah, she played the forty year old stripper mom perfect. She did a great job playing that part. If she would have played Linda with this movie, everything else about this movie being exactly the same, if Sherry would have played Linda. I'd give this fucking movie a one. I wouldn't be able to take it serious. Because it, that's so laughable. Yeah. It's not even close. Yeah, I don't know what he is sees or is trying to convince his wife of, but she is not, clearly not, 17, 17 years no. old. No. Uh, yeah, that's, I thought she you were going to say, look, Lori, She don't even look 21. You know, she don't look 25. I don't think Danielle Harris is, is uh, really Lori Strode, but I thought they could have gotten away with it. I don't think she acts like Lori. Daniel Strode Harris was twenty nine when they filmed this movie. Yeah, Daniel. So Harris she ain't no seventeen neither. But she's I can, believable. She I, played. She, she played a teenage, like I, a older teenage girl, very well. Yeah, um, I, she she pulled it off. Now Sherry Moon Zombie, being well past her beginning of middle age stage here, not playing seventeen. She's old enough to have a 17-year-old. Absolutely. Older than 17. She has a 17-year-old in this fucking movie. Yeah. Judith Myers. Yeah, that's... Uh, I'm so glad they didn't do that. 
because there's there's no way I could take this movie seriously. And you think my jokes about having her in all of his movies are bad now? Had he did that, I probably wouldn't have been able to take anything after that serious so from him, like a period. One. Yeah. So the film was mostly shot in South Pasadena, California, the same area where the original was filmed. The scene where the three girls are walking home and they see Michael watching them. Michael is actually standing in front of the original Strode house. I thought that was very now, interesting. You mentioned that in the beginning, and that was something I was going to ask you about if you didn't touch on. So they shot it in the same neighborhood. They did. There's a couple. Most of the scenes from the same area as the original is during this um, walk home. Uh, the girls, the three girls actually walk past. Also, I believe they walk past the uh, the two houses that they're babysitting in the original. You know, like just mm -hmm. a couple houses down. They actually like walk past those houses as well. So pretty much that like main street that they're on and that chunk of the movie was the street that the original movie was the, the finale or more of more of the second half of the movie takes place actually on that street. Hmm. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. I, I never noticed that. Yeah. I wouldn't notice either because in every Halloween movie, especially these like reboots and stuff, they, all these, all the neighborhoods kind of have the similar vibe, similar feel, and they're really hard to tell apart. I don't look at the houses so detailed enough to, you know, say, Oh, that's, I know that's from the first movie. Yeah, I'm not that into the Halloween movies to where I would have ever known that. Yeah, I think that that's a really cool fact. I'm it glad is. they did that. Uh, this movie is said to be the inspiration for 17-year-old Jacob Evans, who killed his mother and sister in October of 2012. In his written confession, he claimed to have watched the movie three times the week of the murders. So there was somebody out there that watched this movie and was like, I should do that. That's yeah. scary. People, that people sucks. are, uh, people. So, I mean, that's, that's mental illness, man. I watched a documentary called a glitch in the matrix. I think it was on Hulu. Maybe I was bored. Um, I had like an hour or two to kill about a week ago. And there was a guy who got super into the matrix and was convinced that we lived in the matrix. And he thought the way to prove that was to, kill his parents which he did he killed them with a shotgun he's actually in the documentary talking from prison about how in a fucked up place he was at that time and how real how obsessed with this movie he got like he watched it every day and uh you know unfortunately i think some more conservative news try to blame the movies for that with this being a horror movie i'm sure that there was some some controversy over that but the Matrix isn't a horror movie. And that's just proof that, you know, if you get, if you have mental illness, you, you know, you need treatment. You can't blame it on a video game or a movie. You, you, when you need help, you need help. Well, you, you know, you also you can't, you know, not let the other 8 billion people on the planet enjoy something because one kid in Texas decided to take it too far because obviously there's something wrong with him. And do something like this. You can't protect the whole world from what one person might do. I mean, the, you'd have to get rid of everything because I'm sure that everything in this world has caused somebody to kill somebody or hurt somebody. So, you know, but hey, think I, of think of all the music 
that we wouldn't have and all the movies and all, we all wouldn't the, have all anything the pop culture yeah everything would be white and gray and you know like no you know it'd be, be like the giver yeah like the the giver I wanted to include that, though, because I'd actually never heard that. I'm surprised I hadn't heard that because there's uh, some people out there who want to get rid of horror movies because of shit like this. I thought I would have heard about it, but I had never heard it, and I thought it was kind of interesting. Yeah, that's stupid. The knife Michael uses uh, as a kid is a 10-inch Vicrononex. That's hard to say. With a rosewood handle, the knife that he uses when he is older, which is remember supposed to be the same knife, is actually the twelve-inch model. So uh, as he gets bigger, he the knife gets bigger. Well, I'm sure they did it for the purposes of him being smaller. Holding that twelve-inch mm-hmm. knife probably looked really funny. Yeah. So it's a really big knife for a ten-year-old to be supposedly butchering people with. So, uh, on to kill count and ratings. So, the kill count for this movie, this we're 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 covering the unrated version. So, I'm only going to do the unrated version because there's a different kill count for the other version. Um, but the the kill count for this movie is 22. We have Wesley, who's the bully. Ronnie, Steve. There is a Steve. Who's Steve? Who's who's the third kill? Maybe it was Steve. Who's Steve. Steve. No, this is the third kill in the movie. I got them listed by Steve. When is- it happened. Uh, the third kill in the movie is Steve what's is her the name's boyfriend, G- Judas boyfriend. Well, well, son of a bitch. No, when did I Steve. have his? <laughs> I got his name fucked up. Then I thought his name was was Wesley. No, Wesley's the bully. Okay, so yeah. see, here's why I had a hard time when I looked up the cast for this because I couldn't, I I didn't hear her say his name, so I looked up the cast, and because he plays this like seventies long haired like probably average teenage kid in the the 70s 80s i guess that was more the 70s he's a lot older now and he doesn't have long hair obviously so that imdb i was looking at faces trying to match it to his faces uh to his face and yeah i guess we both fucked up a name well if you listen to this show for accuracy um Name accuracy. We're good at everything else. On accuracy on names, you've come to the wrong place. <laughs> I, I stated in the the uh, first episode that this was going to happen quite often, at least on my side. Um, I haven't I haven't named anybody who wasn't even in the movie yet, which has happened on this podcast. There's always <laughs> next year, but um. Yeah, well, you know, I technically hadn't messed up though, because I never, I never said anything about Wesley. No, so. your mess up was a real person. So his name's Steve. His name is Steve. Okay. Uh, number four is Judith. Then the nurse, uh, Nurse Wynn, uh, Deborah Myers, uh, security guard one, security guard two, security guard three, security guard four, uh, Nurse Gloria, uh, guard five, uh, guard six, uh, Ishmael Cruz, Joe Grizzly, Bob. Linda, Mason Strode, Cynthia, Paul, and uh, then we have Officer Lowry and Deputy Charles. And that's all just the people who died. So we get a pass at messing up some names. Yeah, There's a lot of people. 22 people that have died. Favorite kill. So I did, I, you know, I was thinking about, the, I mean, there's a lot, 22 people and I got to pick one. 
So what I did was because, in my opinion, they were so different, I personally picked a young Michael Kill and an older Michael Kill. Well, you should have told me you were doing that, but it just so happened, so did I. <laughs> Look at that. <laughs> I Well, I didn't pick a favorite. I picked a favorite, and then I picked a secondary favorite because of what my favorite is, which I'll explain in a minute. So yeah, I did. I did the same thing. Well, look at that. Because my favorite kill is is one of the skid kills. So I added adult Michael Myers, my favorite adult Michael Myers kill too. Well, they were so different, and then I'm like, man, am I gonna say like my favorite kill is the ten year old Michael Myers kill and Michael Myers movie? I was, and I was like, man, let me just split them up because they're so fucking different, and that's just weird. Yeah, so. we we went through the exact same thought process because my best kill ended up being ten year old michael myers so i had to add a a adult michael myers kill in there too so my young michael kill is wesley rhodes which is the bully with the tree branch and we kind of we already kind of touched on most of it earlier but it's so brutal it's so raw it goes on for a long time um as much as i love all of his kills as a kid i i have a real hard time but this one is the one that when I think about this movie, this is the scene I think about every time. This is That's a this, good kill. This stuck out to me when I first seen it. Uh, every time I watch it, it's like, you know, not quite watching it for the first time, but like watching it for like the second or third time because I forget how long it is. I forget that whole part where Michael kind of pauses and he's like pleading and it's almost like Michael's going to just let him go. He's like looking at the paper and then he's like, nope. And he goes right back to just, you know, laying laying into him. And he doesn't. One thing I love about it is he doesn't finish it off like most movies where he just boom, one final blow. It's multiple final blow. Like it just keeps going on. Yeah. You you see his his rage and uh, it's his first kill. It's his first kill ever. And at least in, in this movie, in Michael Myers' life, his first kill that we know about, one thing I will say that I loved about that kill is it set the tone for the movie. So what is your young Michael kill? Um, mine is going to be Steve. Now we know his name's Steve. Steve uh, getting beat with the baseball bat. That's good. It was a very brutal kill. Every time I think back at this movie, it's one of the kills that I think of. And I love the the aneurysm part, I think, adds to it so much. It just there's just something that adds depth to the kill and it adds realism. Like, you know, Michael pauses after he does the initial shot and he's kind of maybe not confused, but he stands back and like lets him have this aneurysm for a minute and then he just fucking goes to town and it is gory it's gruesome and the shot of his head that we get which i don't even know if that's in the regular movie or just the director's cut but the shot of his head that we get afterwards is is gruesome yeah i think that the uh judith the steve and the wesley kills are they're almost equal they're almost across the board um, the only weak one I think is the, where he kills the abusive boyfriend Yeah, or I wish you would have beat him in the head with the baseball It's bat. still a good kill. It's not, it's still like, that's still one of the best kills in the movie because just, the throat looks so good, but compared to how brutal 
the other three are, you know, those are some of the top kills in this whole movie is when he's a, when he's a kid. I agree. And like, you know, Ronnie, it, that kill looks really good. It's like you were saying, the throat looks great. It's really gory. Um, I wish that he would have did a little more with the knife. Like a knife is such a, a basic kill, uh, a slit to the throat of somebody that's tied up. But when you look at how he kills uh, Judith, he, I mean, the, that was almost that that was up there with one of the one of the kills too. Like you said, they're all kind of equal uh, because he doesn't just stab her or slit her throat. He literally like goes to town at cutting at her and chopping at her. And I wish that, especially as as shitty of a character as Ronnie was, I wish he would have went to fucking town on him while he was tied up. My older Michael kill is this is going to be surprising. I had a real hard time picking this one. But mine's actually going to be Mason Strode, Lori's dad. And the, what? They and don't hardly show it. The reason why I picked that kill is because it's out of nowhere. So surprising. I have seen this movie many times and I always forget that that kill happens. And when it does happen, it's one of the few times in the movie where I'm like shocked for a moment. It's like Michael Myers in assassin mode. He he, hits him so brutal and so hard. And it's just, it's, 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 you know, you have this nice scene with the family and everything's great. And you, you think it's just going to be, you know, that scene that's in a million movies and they don't give you any time for that to fade off. They immediately hit with this brutality. And then it leads like he literally cuts his throat, catches him slams him through the front door and throws him on the ground in a matter of like a second and a half. And then the brutality that he, you know, he instantly moves on to this brutality of her mom. Um, yeah, there's so many kills in this that are, um, and this, and I don't, I don't blame Rob Zombie for this. Cause this is what this, what Michael Myers is known for, but there are a lot of them are really just kind of standard knife kills. And but this one, it shocked me. It was brutal. It's quick. I I really like this kill. I think that it probably gets overlooked because there's so much other stuff going on. But I really like this one. It's so quick. I actually rewound to see when I was taking notes if I missed him being finished off when he got pushed through the door. No, he gets him on that yeah. first cut and that's yeah, that's all it is. It. And he uses his like body. Said, it's like assassin Michael Myers, man. He comes out of, it's quiet, comes out of nowhere, and his whole point is to get him out of the front of the house and get inside and he just quietly like just slashes him, opens the door while he's falling, catches him and drops him in the house. I mean he uses Mason's body as a battering ram to get through the door. Like, yeah, maybe not ma- maybe not so quiet, but <laughs> um I mean Mason dies and his ghost probably like what the fuck just happened he's probably his, his lungs probably still full of smoke he's like you know what the fuck like you know he doesn't even he ends up in like fucking heaven or something like, and he's like what well, how did i die did i have a heart attack it's like those truth commercials <laughs> told me that cigarettes were gonna kill me but goddamn. but yeah so that's that is my favorite older michael kill in this movie well i'm gonna go with because I will say that I wish that the adult Michael Meyer kills, some of them would have been as brutal as the first couple with him as a kid. That's one of the reasons I picked the, the Mason, too. 
but I'm going to go with Bob. And I'm, well, I'm trusting you on this is that his name's Bob, but I have him as uh, Linda's, Linda's boyfriend. And whenever he jacks him up against the fucking wall and he stabs that knife and you don't really realize like your kind of you see his feet, uh, you know, they show his feet and they show him wiggle and wiggle and then they just go limp. And you don't know if if Michael Myers is holding him up against the wall or if he's pinned and then Michael just literally like lets him go. It's almost like Michael wanted to see if he was going to stay. Like he was almost <laughs> testing it. Like he he holds him up there until he's dead, and then he like drops his hands down and gives it a good test. Like, is he in there good enough? Is he gonna stay? But yeah, it was it was a knife kill that would have been normally basic, but because they added that in there with him being pinned up against the wall, that that was my favorite. A lot of the uh, adult Michael Meyer kills are kind of on a similar level. They're all kind of. You know, mm-hmm. they're they're all up there with each other. Uh, but that one was my favorite. That's that's what I took away as far as my favorite adult Michael Myers kill. That one that one stood out the most to me. Uh all right, rating time. Rating time. I gave this movie I went back and forth between a three point eight and a four. And every time I'd give it a four, there's some things that just bug me so much that I couldn't, I couldn't sit with the four. So I ended up kind of uh, meeting in the middle and I gave this movie a 3.9. The reason why is because I hate all the the dialogue with the girls, with the teenage girls. It's terrible. I thought they did really good job at being teenage girls though. They're too vulgar. They're that like their whole uh-huh. entire conversation is like worse than me and my friends at 17. I went to high school shortly after this and I, th- I thought they did pretty good with this. I maybe in Florida high school is not as vulgar, but I know here and I, I heard some shit. Yeah, I just didn't like the dialogue. I hated their dialogue. And then there's the whole like the very end, you know, she's like, um, you know, because like it, you know, some of it's not even just when they're together. You know, I hate that dialogue with where Lori, where you meet Lori as a teenager. She comes down for breakfast and she's like being kind of real gross with her mom, talking about the fucking um, the dude at the hardware store fucking her, and she's like doing the th- finger in the bagel and yeah, I thought like, that was weird. This is so cringy because I don't think that I don't think this girl would talk like that. Um, then there's a really annoying scene where um, Daniel Harris and and she's dropping um, Lindsay off and they start kind of like humping each other and they're doing like, oh, yes, like pretending like they're fucking in the hallway in front of these kids. And I'm like, this is I don't know, man, this is weird. I don't like any of that stuff. I think it's badly written. Uh, another thing is I hate Michael removing his mask. You were talking about that scene earlier. I didn't say anything because I was saving it for this. I fucking hate that whole entire chunk of scene. I don't like any of that. I don't like Michael getting stabbed and then he gets shot and he's fine. He gets shot multiple times. He's fine, but he gets stabbed. He goes to sleep for uh, two minutes or something. He was faking. Uh, Yeah. um, The rape scene way, way too long. Hated that. So there was some things that I didn't like, so it ended up hitting a 3.9. Other than that, I love the rest of the movie. Well, I 
am going to give this movie a 4.3. Uh, look, I know this movie, and I'm probably going to get some, some shit for that. I know this movie is hated by a large group of people who are huge fans of the original Halloween. And I love the original Halloween. And I get it for the older the older people whose the first one came out, and that was their Halloween. That was their childhood's Halloween. Well, this is my childhood's Halloween. And uh, so I don't, I don't have that same feeling against it. Uh, the gore it was one thing that a lot of people hate it for. I love it for the gore. Fans of the original said that the movie was so scary it didn't need gore. And that was something John Car- Carpenter totally said. Totally disagree. And yeah, I, I, I disagree. The gore is something that I, I really like. Um, and also the cinematography I thought was, was fantastic. Um, I loved them. Another reason that this movie's hated on is that the first half of it is kind of a prequel. I love that I, part. I of do it. too. I love seeing Michael Myers, how how brutal he was, and his killing as a kid. I like seeing the backstory that they give him. That kind of gives some more insight on the perfect storm that was created to create this, and then the slow downfall that he had. That they they show like scenes in the hospital. That's every every couple months or, or every year or two. And they show him slowly in a in a downward spiral, a downward spiral, becoming pure evil, which is Michael Myers. So I love that part of it. Um, outside of the script, uh, I thought the actors were were great. Um, uh, I didn't have any complaints. I thought Doctor Loomis, the guy who they got to play him, was really good. I thought Tyler Maine was one of the most menacing Michael Myers that they had thought Scout Taylor Compton was a uh, amazing final girl. I will say overall, it, you know, if you haven't seen this movie, and I feel like a lot of horror fans have, but if you haven't seen it, don't listen to all the, the negative comments about it. This is one of those movies that people either love or hate, and, uh, you know, make that decision for yourself. So if you haven't seen it, definitely check it out. Yeah, this is kind of, if I was to compare it to something, it's like episode one of Star Wars. You know, it's like the people that were fans of the original, like three from the 70s and 80s, hated the ones that came out in the 90s. Those were our, you know, childhood Star Wars movies. And they're not perfect. You know, there's not, it's, that's not a perfect movie. None of them are perfect. This but... is not a perfect movie. I literally just named off four things I hate about it. But... If honestly, like if I was going to watch a Halloween movie, uh, I'd probably watch this one. Yeah, I love the original. But man, we grew up in a time where, you know, brutality and gore is just hand in hand with horror. You know, this day and time, especially with our generation and especially with the generation after us, we don't have super long attention spans. Unfortunately, a movie like this has 22 fucking kills and a lot of them are very brutal. You want to watch them. This movie keeps your attention. It's in it and and Michael Myers looks great. He's grungy, his mask is dirty. We get an amazing backstory for him. I don't think that it takes anything away from the character. I think it's just made for our generation. You know, I I, I have no problem going out and saying that this is my favorite Halloween movie to watch. 
Like if I'm picking one, this is this is my go to Halloween movie. And my favorite genre of horror is slashers. And when I watch a Friday the 13th, I want to see Jason Voorhees brutally fuck some some counselors or teenagers having mar- premarital sex. I want to see somebody get fucked up like I do. And I don't want to just see, you know, a flash of it about to happen. And then that's all I get to see. You know, that's we we have these FX teams that do these practical effects that make good money doing what they do and they get paid good money for a reason. And it's because there's a lot of people who want to fucking see the as, as realistic as possible. Uh, you know, we're not, you're not throwing kids in a fucking tree grinder or something, but this is what we want to see. When I watch a Halloween movie, I want to watch Michael Myers kill people. That is my main driving force for watching a Halloween movie. It's a slasher. I want to see Michael Myers slashing people up. And this movie gives us a ton of that. It gives us brutality. It gives us gore. And it even is generous enough to give us a prequel and a backstory to kind of show his descent um, into darkness. But I, I agree. I mean, that's all I really got to say about Halloween. Rob Zombie's uh, unrated director's cut from 2007. We went over the whole movie. We kind of gave you our opinions. And I hope that you like this movie as much as we did. Got any last words? Happy fucking Halloween. Oh, yeah. Happy Halloween. Enjoy your Halloween. Fucking dress up. Go get candy. Uh, Hang out with the family. Hang out with yourself. Watch scary movies. You know, summon a demon. You know, what, whatever you want to do. Don't eat do candy it. corn. Stay away from candy corn. Please, for the love of God, don't hand candy corn out to children. It's dangerous. Man, that bitch got a fine-looking dumper on her. <laughs>